That to-do list you have needs one more thing. Chill. It's an easy thing to do. Just crack open an ice-cold Coors Light and chill. Take the afternoon off and binge watch anything. Go to happy hour and stay for a couple hours. Who's counting anyways? Or hang out with just your dog because you've had enough human interaction this week. Whatever you do, do it with a Coors Light. Mountain cold refreshment made to chill. 2020 Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Celebrate responsibly. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Oh, it's snowmageddon out there. A lot of snow, a lot of weather in the Portland metropolitan area, at least. Uh, uh, I don't know if people are still stuck in traffic, but we were talking late in yesterday's show to a whole bunch of listeners who were on I-5 or on 217 or on Sandy Boulevard or some back road trying to get somewhere, and they were caught in the snow. Uh, kids, a lot of kids in the uh, in the area off school today. We've got a meteorologist in the extended family who's laughing at us, going, you guys cancel, you cancel school because of what? How many inches did you get? Never mind. We're, you know, we're, we may be soft, but we know a snow day when we see one. The kids were up early. They were all geared up. They went outside. I even went out with them. You know, you know it's not my thing. You know, I, I grew up in the Bay Area. We used to visit the snow. We would go to Lake Tahoe, South Lake Tahoe, where my grandparents lived. And, you know, we would go in the snow and we would tube. But, man, uh, the memories I have of being in the snow as a kid are of me being in blue jeans and tennis shoes and, like, a light windbreaker and freezing my beep off. Like, literally, very, very cold. And so when it snows, I don't immediately have that reaction that the six-year-old and the eight-year-old in particular in our household have, they see the snow, they're doing cartwheels, they're gearing up, and I'm kind of begrudgingly going along with it. I went out, and uh, they were building some kind of snow village out in the driveway, and we have this steep incline on the driveway. And sure enough, Stephen, you know what happened. I was in snow boots. I was in snow pants. I was in a snow jacket. And I was also in a uh, parallel position to the slanted uh, driveway as my feet went out from under me. And uh, I, I sort of hovered there in the air for a little bit, like Michael Jordan in that uh, slam dunk competition where he took off from the free throw line. I kind of was in that position, but I was I was prone, uh, and I knew, I said, this is going to be bad. And uh, as I landed, though, I, I landed pretty nicely, and I and I said to the, uh, the eight-year-old, said, oh, Dad, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, but uh, literally, it was my pride that was damaged. Just uh, I was airborne in that moment. Did you get outside, Stephen, at all in the snow, or did you stay indoors until you had to get to work? Yeah, no, uh, I went outside. So my wife, uh, as a teacher at Central Catholic, they had uh, distance learning. So they had online learning today. So she was at home oh boy. Uh, teaching, and then my kids are home, you know, you know, home from school. So uh, you know, I took them out of the house. We went for a walk. Up to the store, got you know, got some snacks, got some uh, sodas for the kids. Have a nice fun day. But I'm with you. Like when you slip and fall, there's no worse feeling because there's <laughs> nothing you can do, and it's like and, time, and, and it's slow motion, right? Like it's like you said, it's like it's still slow motion. You know what's happening. You know it's gonna be embarrassing. But I will say, you know what? I'm I'm proud of you, and I'm proud of your kids because they at least checked on you. 
They're like, hey, Dad, are you okay? Yeah. I'm pretty sure my kids, 90% chance they're laughing. They're just laughing right away as soon as I fall. They don't care if I'm hurt. They just think it's funny. So uh, I, you know, I'm glad to hear you're okay, but I'm also glad to hear that uh, your family cares about you, John, and that's good to know. I'm not sure how I feel about a high school going to distance learning on a snow day. It feels wrong. It feels like they should have just said, hey, uh, you know, they build some snow days into the into the schedule where they uh, they just didn't want to take a day off today, and they're making the kids sit inside and be on on computers and do work. I mean, come on, give them a, give them a day off. Yeah, and uh, so my wife must be listening because she just said they're on uh, digital learning tomorrow as well. So, uh, yeah, I mean, they uh, – oh, oh, It's ridiculous. Yeah, I mean, you might as well just give them a day off, right? I'm with you. Like, this is – that's what you look forward to as a kid, right? When you're at school – like, every day there's a chance for it to snow. It's like I remember waking – I mean, it's different now because we have you know, our phones and the internet and stuff. But, like, I remember waking up and just, like, hoping and looking outside and seeing that uh, it would be snowing and stuff. But, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. I think they should just give them the day off. Yeah, you know, they build some of those days into the school year. And I, I get it. We went uh, during a pandemic to distance learning. But, you know, I hate, tra- I hate traumatizing the kids and bringing that back even for a day or two. And I get it. They get to be home. Teachers want to work. The school's probably thinking, hey, we can get out uh, in June on time. We don't have to add school days to the end of the year. But I'm okay with the kids getting to play hooky and getting to take a snow day in February. we got a great show for you today. we got to talk about that sensory deprivation chamber that Aaron Rodgers went into. Oh, yeah, it was in the state of Oregon. We found that out today as... Uh, the story broke that Aaron Rodgers emerged like the groundhog who was coming up to see if he could see his shadow. And uh, you've got Aaron Rodgers coming out of the out of the deprivation chamber, and then all of a sudden it was like this realization that this hobbit-like structure that he was in, halfway in the ground, halfway not, uh, apparently is in the state of Oregon. It's down in Ashland, and it is uh, it is a sky cave. That is down in Ashland. I reached out to the owners of the facility. We're efforting them for today's show. They're trying to move some things around. We may get a visit from them. But the sky cave that Aaron Rodgers was in, if you're just learning this, like he basically was going to, uh, he wanted to, uh, I guess, go to a meditative state and do some thinking and be isolated. And he decided to go to this place to retreat into darkness for a spiritual practice that is thousands of the years in the making. This goes back to India, China, Tibet. The Sky Cave basically, uh, you know, lets you, has a yoga mat, has a, a bathroom, has a bed. It's 300 square feet, I guess. There's no light in there. It's devoid of light. But then you have the ability to turn on a light from inside the room. Um, the retreat has three dark rooms, and apparently it's booked solid for the next 18 months with a wait list in the hundreds. So they're trying to build more rooms out here uh, in Ashland at this facility. I don't know how to feel about this, Stephen. Like, should we be like, should we be proud as Oregonians that Aaron Rodgers, when he was trying to do this thing, decided to come to the state of Oregon to do it down in Ashland? Uh, and or should we be like, oh man, that's just another thing where they're gonna think we're all weird? I, I kind of think both. It'd be honest, like. It's kind of weird, but at the same time, I think it's awesome that Aaron Rodgers, like, if he truly got something out of it, and, like, I'm not, you know, I would never put down anybody for trying to help themselves and make themselves better. And so if this helped him and made him better, like, I'm all for it. Now, I don't know if it would help me, but, like, if it helps Aaron Rodgers make a decision in life or help him make a decision in the NFL, I'm all for it. Now, I do think publicly 
it makes Oregon look even weirder than we kind of already are, right? Like <laughs> that's what I'm getting. Yeah, at. like and, I mean, I'm fine with it. Like I feel like we're just kind of known to be the weirdos up here, and you know, we're kind of the hippies out here in Oregon. But I mean, it, so it is what it is. It's one of those things, just like the robot thing, John. Like I'm not, a, you know, I can't do anything about it. I can't do anything about how people think about us in Oregon. We're gonna be weird over here, anyways. I didn't like the Portlandia series because, like, while there was some truth in it, like, you could watch it and you'd go, oh, totally, I could see, like, people in southeast Portland, or I can recognize, you know, northwest 23rd Avenue, or I can see Portland politics on display in this Portlandia show. Uh, it, I don't think it helped our brand as a city. I don't think it helped our brand any more than uh, all the news coverage of what was going on downtown or whatnot. And, I, and again, so if I, we come back to the branding part of it, like we're trying to get a Major League Baseball team to Oregon. We're, we're trying to, uh, you know, assure people that downtown's not on fire. That's, that was the prevailing thought for like two years. But oh, is it, are you safe? Like, can you see the fire? And there's no fire. I don't see anything. But uh, aside from all that, we're, we're now fighting the stigma of patchouli oil and a little bit of weirdness. And, and I agree with you, like, there are far worse things that athletes do to kind of escape or to find themselves in the postseason. Like, you know, some people dive into uh, drugs and abuse substances. Other people will uh, jet set around the country and they're not training, they're not working out, they're kind of off the rails. We've seen this stuff. So I don't mind Aaron Rodgers like saying, hey, I need to uh, do some meditation. I need to be in a dark place to do it. I need to sit on a yoga mat. I also think it's kind of weird that he is being really open about this and talking about it. I'm sure there's a bunch of people who have done this stuff that don't tell anybody that they go and do it. So I kind of wonder if Aaron Rodgers is wanting to play the role of uh, hippie alternative quarterback in the NFL world. Do you, do you think that this affects how people view him, or do they just look at how he plays and say, the guy can still sling it, we're going to sign him? Well, you talk about brand, like brand of Oregon. Yeah, I think Aaron Rodgers is playing into his brand, and like this does go with what he's been doing the last few years. Like He supposedly dated some you know, witch or something on Instagram I remember hearing about. Like This is what Aaron Rodgers does. Like He's going to bring a lot of stuff to the forefront, uh, and it's going to be unique. And so I don't have a problem with it. Like, I think it's fine. I think he's kind of playing it up a little bit just to have people laugh or, like, think that that's who he is. Um, but, you know, like I said, if it helps him out, dude, that's good, and I'm all for it. But it, it's all about his brand, man, and it, it, I think that's with all sports. It's all about everybody's brand, whether it's the All-Star game or it's Aaron Rodgers or it's, you know, Lamar Jackson or all these guys out there. Like, they're all just trying to help their brand out and make as much money as possible, and I think Aaron Rodgers – can do that, and you know, pretty soon he'll be uh, you know opening his up his own darkness retreat or something, or he'll be you know promoting the one out in Ashland. Like it's gonna be something like that, and it's gonna help out Rogers in the in the long run. I think it's good for him. Yeah, you know, some people know this, some people don't, but I'm I'm native to the state of Oregon. I was born uh, not far from Ashland. My dad was attending what was then Southern Oregon College, now Southern Oregon University, and uh, taking some winter classes. I was uh, born at the hospital in uh, Medford, but uh, my first residence was in Ashland. And so when I saw this, I got to be honest, like I saw it and went, great, this is really interesting. We'll talk about it on the show, but I'm not sure this is great for kind of the overall brand of the state of Oregon. They already think we're a bunch of Birkenstock wearing patchouli oil hippies anyway. So here we go. But is there anything that we can do to help solve that? Like, I think that's we're, we're kind of stuck with that brand. Like, it's going to take a really long time. I don't think one thing of Aaron Rodgers going to a darkness retreat is really going to hurt it that much. No. And, and look, and if the, if the other issues weren't prevalent, 
if the issues with uh, you know lack of leadership in in the city of Portland, um, lack of vision at the state capitol, hell, you look at uh, sports gambling laws in in the uh, state of Oregon. I mean, we're behind the times. You can't bet on a college sporting event in the state of Oregon. You can go into plenty of other states and do that. Um, the legislators in this state have not been on the ball, or maybe maybe they just haven't understood sports. And maybe we need to get one on the show tomorrow. Maybe one of the city commissioners in downtown Portland will come on the show tomorrow. Maybe the mayor will come on the show tomorrow. We need see because if the if you had the bigger issues sewed up, like nobody, like we were talking yesterday about where's the sports capital of the United States, and Las Vegas comes up as a possibility because. You know in Las Vegas that if the A's want to come to Vegas, they're going to knock down one of those dying casinos, and they're going to build a ballpark on the Strip. That if the A's want to do that, they'll do it. Like, you know, the Raiders want to come, great. Put a shovel in the ground while we figure out what, what's going to happen exactly. Vegas is motivated. Nobody doubts that the leaders in Vegas are on it when it comes to sports. Like, there's tremendous political will, business will. There's a lot of synergy. Uh, Vegas is going to just get stuff done. But, you know, so if Aaron Rodgers goes into a hobbit-like cave in Vegas, it doesn't really affect the brand of uh, Las Vegas. People might make jokes and go, hey, what happened in that hobbit thing stays in that hobbit thing. Like, you know, it's, they might make, make fun of it, but they're not going to associate what Aaron Rodgers is doing with the state of Nevada or the city of Las Vegas. Conversely, in the state of Oregon, we don't have a lot of political will when it comes to sports projects. There's, you know, some question on whether or not there would even be support for a Major League Baseball team from uh, lawmakers in the state capitol and in the city of Portland. Seems to be some obstacles there, at least uh, nobody there greasing the wheels. And so I think if we had, like, the reputation of being kind of, uh, you know, we have our act together, I don't think anybody would think anything of this. But the problem is you have all these other things that have been presented over the last 5 or 10 or 15 years that kind of show Portland as Portlandia, and now you got Aaron Rodgers in this Hobbit-like cave, you know, with the lights off, and everybody's going, "Well, there's Oregonians. That's that's what they do up there." It, go, it uh, goes back. Oh, sorry, it goes back to like everything with sports too. Like it's all about leadership and coaching. Like it's so hard to break that mentality, that loser's mentality, whether it's a, you know a team or you know you look at like the Cleveland Browns, like to break that, like it's impossible because they've been so bad for so long. You need the leadership, and I'm with you. Like in Portland, same thing. All right, so tomorrow's show just got confirmation. Uh, Commissioner Dan Ryan, who is one of the uh, city commissioners in Portland, is going to join us on the program. We'll talk to him about it. You know, what's the status of the Blazers' lease? You know, uh, where where can the city get involved in, in greasing the wheels for Major League Baseball to, to Portland? All of that stuff. Does Portland want to be a sports city? Well, Dan Ryan, I appreciate him accepting the challenge, city commissioner, on tomorrow's show. That's how we do it here. All right, coming up next, we've got to talk about Alabama. Alabama has set itself up, not for a national championship, but for a lawsuit. I'll tell you why next. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. You need to pick me up for your Thursday. Uh, I encourage you to check out the column I wrote this morning at johnconzano.com. It is about uh, a major victory, a team that is very easy to root for. I'm not going to spoil the column, but uh, if you want to pick me up, it's uh, it's exactly what you need for your Thursday. Check it out. Um, you know, I 
this morning as I'm writing it. You know, I had glassy eyes when I was writing it, but uh, I want uh, you to tell me what you think on your own. You can find it at johnconzano.com. The easiest team to root for uh, in America, right there. Uh, the a team that a lot of people do root root for that um, that uh, you would want to maybe rectify or reprimand today is Alabama. The University of Alabama, the athletic director, the head basketball coach, the university itself has done a really poor job of handling the incident with an Alabama basketball player and uh, what Alabama knew. Brandon Miller played in a basketball game last night. The parents of the shooting victim have ripped Alabama and ripped Nate Oates for letting Brandon Miller play. Uh, Jamea Harris, who was killed on January 15th when uh, an Alabama basketball player and a teammate of Miller's, Darius Miles and uh, Michael Davis, uh, are, are charged in capital murder, uh, are charged with capital murder. Um, preliminary hearing earlier this week, police testified that. Brandon Miller brought the gun that was used in the killing to the scene. Uh, Miller scored 41 points last night. Alabama beat South Carolina 78-76. But Jamea Harris's parents are ticked off, and um, it, and I don't blame them. Uh, DeCarla Cotton said that it was unimaginable that Alabama allowed a basketball player to play the day after law enforcement testified that uh, that guy delivered the gun that was used uh, to the scene of the crime. Uh, they're worried about his career, but what about the five-year-old son of the victim in the crime, the person who was killed? That kid does not have a mother anymore. Uh, Miller's a freshman. He's a really good player. He's a candidate for the National Player of the Year. He's been projected as a top-five pick in the draft. Um, but Alabama has just handled this poorly. And the public comments that they made in the wake of the Tuesday's revelation were inappropriate, insensitive, and have set them up for a lawsuit. They're going to get sued. It's basic decency and PR 101 or crisis management 101 that somebody in the Alabama family should have been monitoring this case. Somebody should have known, hey, there's a hearing coming up on Tuesday. Um, this could be bad for us. Let's pay attention to what's said. Alabama was caught off guard. And then the coach went and talked about it, put his foot in his mouth, and basically said, you know, oh, we can't be in control. It was the wrong place, wrong time, all of this stuff. And I got to tell you, last night on, on Twitter, um, the rest of the country – who was on Twitter, let Alabama have it. Because as Miller was on his way to 41 points, the mentions for Alabama basketball were on point themselves. It was people saying, wrong place, wrong time for South Carolina. Um, and and making taking a variety of swipes at Alabama basketball. Uh, but the bigger thing is, like, you, you know, the media relations department at Alabama – should have been prepared for this. They should have known that there was a hearing. They should have had respect for the 
woman that was killed and her family and stepped in front of a coach or anybody else from the university saying something insensitive and stupid and pointed to the victim in this case and said, look, out of respect for the victim, we're not going to comment here. We take this matter seriously. It's PR 101, people. Alabama set itself up. They're going to be named in a civil lawsuit. My lawyer friends have been texting me today going, what is Alabama thinking? What is, yeah, I got lawyer friends, but what is Alabama thinking? Um, I feel for the, the family of the woman who was killed. I feel for the kid, especially the five-year-old. And I got to be honest with you, with Brandon Miller, hell of a player. Do you want your trailblazers to pick this guy in the draft? If they are sitting there and they end up around fifth in the draft, would you be okay with the trailblazers taking this guy? I have problems with it already. And part of it is how Alabama handled it. And it's probably not even his fault. Steven, how do you feel about this? It's one of, Yeah, it's tough because Alabama handled it terribly. And all, like you said, all they had to do was just say, you know, we're waiting for all the information and basically just, you know, not say anything, but instead NATO said wrong place, wrong time, and showed no remorse for what actually happened. Now you go and now you know Brandon Miller's attorney. They put out a statement saying that he had no idea what was going on. He didn't even necessarily know that the gun was in the car because it was underneath a bunch of different clothes, and he didn't know it was going to be used as a weapon. So legally, I don't think anything can happen to Brandon Miller because unless they can prove that he knew that it was a premeditated attack, like I think he's going to be off legally. But at the same time, like. You literally delivered a murder weapon. So, like, there has to be some type of discipline for him. Now, if I'm an NBA team, that's a tough situation because he's a really good player, John. Like, a really good player. We talk about this, like, when you're really good and you're really talented, you get second and third and fourth chances. He'll for sure get a second chance. You know, he's still on his first chance. He'll get a second chance. If I'm the Trailblazers, I don't, I don't think I want him. Like, as a fan, I don't think I want him because I don't want to have to deal with that. I don't want to have the fact that this guy is associating himself with murderers on the team, that he literally delivered a weapon, but at the same time, like, legally he didn't do anything wrong. It's just really tough, man. I, I've i been contemplating this back and forth all day and yesterday, but I, I think I would land on I don't want him on the Blazers, even though he would help the Trailblazers out a lot. I don't want a guy that handled a murder weapon on this team. I am uh, uncomfortable with it. I, I get it. Like, his attorney's saying... You know, he, he couldn't have reasonably expected that the gun would be used to commit a capital murder. And, uh, you know, but I also, I think there, there's a bigger question about, you know, who is he, who did he surround himself with as a person? What kind of person is he? These were not just teammates. These were his friends that, you know, he was hanging out with and whatnot. But the bigger, the, the, the immediate takeaway is that Alabama is going to get sued. And, and it's not going to be pretty for Alabama. And I'm going to have no sympathy for Alabama when they do get a civil suit. And it's going to be the university. It's going to be the basketball coach. They're going to get sued. Uh, I want you to leave it here. we got big guests on today's show. Among them, Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State men's basketball coach. He'll join us next. Leave it here. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game.
basketball. We got Pac-12 tournament coming up in a couple weeks. So the Pac-12 is in uh, full rhythm right now, headed to the final three games of the regular season. Oregon and Oregon State will be uh, squaring off this weekend in Corvallis. Wayne Tinkle, Oregon State basketball coach, is joining us now. Hey, Coach, I know it's been a tough year, but uh, I want to catch up with you. I appreciate you giving us your time. Great to be with you as always, John. Now, uh, let's talk about just in general kind of how you feel about this team. you got a good freshman, but you haven't been getting the result on the court. What's it been like for you? Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly a work in progress. Uh, you know, this year, uh, you know, we're, it was all about trying to get our culture back. Um, obviously, we're you – know, Dick Bennett used to say you get a, you got to find a way to, to lose together before you can win together. Uh, it's, it's been frustrating at times. We love our group. They, they, you know, they're so much more enjoyable to coach day in and day out. Uh, they're, they're, they're doing it in the classroom. They're, now the next part is we got to translate it to wins because that's obviously a big part of our culture when we have it going. Um, it, it hasn't happened this year, but we've seen a lot of good progress, especially from that freshman group you mentioned. Uh, we dealt with some injuries, losing Show Mariel in early December for the year. Now Justin Roshlin, who missed uh, a bunch of games early, Christian Wright. Um, but we've fought through the adversity. These guys are getting tougher. Um, and, and we know that it's not too late to try to get a little momentum going here late. Um, you know, and then, and then obviously we got to get better in the offseason. So not, not, you know, we've lost a few or you know, left a few out there that we'd like to have back. We've gotten our teeth kicked in a time or two. But, you know, our guys are, are getting better day after day. And we got to perform. You know, the last month, John, we haven't shot the ball very well after leading the Pac-12 the first half. Um, so so we, we've got to answer up, get after it a little bit, but we feel like we've, we've got things heading uh, in the right direction as, as slowly as it might seem. You mentioned, you know, repairing the culture. Uh, was it just in the wake of the Elite Eight, uh, the group that you had, it wasn't a good fit, or what happened there? Yeah, you know, we, we lost a lot of momentum. We had a few guys that were, um, you know, role players after that run throw their name in the portal because they wanted to go down to lower levels where they could be starters and, and kind of main guys, which, you know, didn't catch us off guard because you're always uh, got to be prepared for that. But the problem was it was during COVID where we couldn't leave campus to recruit and we couldn't bring recruits to campus. So it was all over Zoom, you know, YouTube, phone calls, testimonials. We feel like we missed on a couple and, and then losing – Ethan Thompson and Zach Reichel, who were our you know great leaders, um, the veterans that came back from the Elite Eight team, didn't carry that leadership over. And, and as hard as, as we tried as a staff, it was just kind of a you know a group of new guys, a group of veteran guys. Some guys believe in the hype a little too much going into the, the preseason, and we were never you know as a staff able to pull that group together. And so we had to do a complete scrub, and and we committed to a large freshman group, um, even a couple of the transfers we took in Christian and Justin were guys that were just first-year players last year, uh, and, and we just committed to taking our lumps and, and rebuilding this thing from the ground up, and we're in the, you know, early on in that process, obviously. But, John, one thing we've proven is uh, you know, our, our way works. When we commit to getting the right kind of guys here, our kind of character guys, that you know, we've rebuilt this thing a couple of times. When we first got here, you know, after the first trip to the NCAA tournament, we had that horrible year with all the injuries, rebuilt it, and we're confident we're going to do it again. 
Wayne Tinkle with us, Oregon State men's basketball coach. You got a really good freshman in uh, Pope who regularly pops up as you know a candidate for Player of the Week. How do you keep a guy like that engaged on your campus? You know, uh, you know, you guys offered him when when a lot of others didn't, but I'm sure, uh, you know, in this world of the transfer portal, there there will be some interest in him. How, do you have to recruit that kid again, or how do you how do you deal with trying to retain that kid and make him believe that he's part of the future and he can be a leader there? Yeah, that's a great point, and and really we've got to do that with with all of our guys, and we've got three potential guys. You mentioned Jordan, but Tyler Bildo, Michael Retire that could somehow be recognized, whether it's honorable mention or first-team all-freshman. Um, and we've, we've got to keep that core group intact. And it's, you know, from, you know, trusting, you know, their loyalty, which, which we know is tough in this day and age, making sure we're doing all we can, um, you know, as far as convincing them we're continuing to bring in more and more talent and, and that the success is going to come, uh, even along the lines of, you know, the, the NIL kind of deals, uh, that, that we're doing all we can here at Oregon State uh, so, so that other schools can't come in and say, hey, we can do this where they can't. And, and then keep pushing the reason they came here. Like you said, you know, some of these guys weren't recruited by, uh, you know, a lot of Pac-12 schools, uh, but we believed in them. We're going to continue to develop them. The way we do things here at Oregon State where, you know, it's all inclusive. We're not just coaching the basketball player, um, but, but the, the relationships and the way we're helping mold them for, for what's to come down the road, not just from a basketball standpoint, but, you know, from, you know, being great husbands and fathers. And, 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 and that doesn't go just fall on deaf ears. You know, we, we kind of sort that stuff out early, and guys that don't want to listen to it, we, we, don't, we don't bring to campus. So we're trusting in all of that, and, and, and we believe that they're really good kids, and they, they see the light. They, they understand, you know, there's been some hard times this year for sure, but uh, they understand that nothing worth, uh, you know, really achieving doesn't come without – some adversity and some pain and growth, and that's what we're going through. Are you getting the resources you need? And I just asked that meaning, you know, like I looked at Cal basketball, and it turns out, you know, Cal doesn't charter uh, on their all of the road games during conference play, and some others do. Do you feel like the investment in basketball is there at Oregon State? Yeah, it's been, it's been great, but it's ever-evolving as the landscape's changed, and you know, we're already having talks about next year's budget with regards to that exactly. Charter flights, where they make sense. Uh, you know, when we can get back after a game from L.A. commercially, uh, you know, I don't have a problem with that. But when we're, you know, playing at 8 o'clock at night and, and 9 o'clock our time in, in you know, Boulder, we got to get home that Saturday night so we can take Sunday off and then on Monday go back to work and prep for, for Wednesday, or Wednesday or Thursday's opponent. And so our, our administration has been great along those lines. We're, we're, we're looking to find ways to continue to increase in some of those areas. Um, you know, obviously we've got a group off campus working on the NIL stuff. They're doing a great job, um, you know, with, uh, with us with regards to getting some things going there. Uh, so we, we, we feel really, really strongly about the fact that we don't lack a whole lot. Um, you know, when, when it, obviously there's always going to be a few schools that stand out in your conference. Um, that, that seem like they, they don't go without, uh, um, you know, any needs or concerns. They've got it all. But our administration's done a great job of really making a push uh, to, to make sure that we're, we're where we need to be and not falling behind. 
You've got Oregon this weekend, uh, and then Stanford and Cal uh, to finish the regular season. Uh, there's some opportunities there for you guys. What do you want to get out of this? What What are you looking for in this last three game swing? Well, you know, we've been saying it all year. Like our teams, when we've got the guys we want, you know, and, and things are clicking, we peak at the right time. And we've tried to make that statement the last couple of weekends. So, you know, we a lot of momentum off the USC uh, home win just uh, two Saturdays ago, and obviously went on the road and didn't shoot it uh, like like we thought we could, and lost a couple. But we we can't be licking our wounds, feeling sorry for ourselves. We got to get after it. We got a chance to build some momentum. Um, you know, we're, 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 you never know what could happen. You get to Vegas, but you can't limp in down there and expect to flip the switch. And when we made that great run two years ago, we won three out of our last four uh, league games, and, and all three of those were on the road, uh, and we got some momentum, you know, and, and then a couple things fell our way, and we got on a roll. And we're, we're not, you know, we're just we're trying to stay in the moment, but we're like, dang it, let's approach March Madness right now. This, you know, one at a time, survive in advance. And we're saying it to, you know, 18 and 19 year olds predominantly, but you know the the one thing with this team, John, that I want to see is we've been playing a little too timid at times, and like offensively, we've not once said, "Hey, we're going to control the tempo, really slow it down." We want to get out and go, and at times, I think our guys, when we get knocked in the face a little bit, and it's not just our our young guys, our veterans too, we get back on our heels and kind of get timid. We want to throw caution to the wind and get after it, be aggressive offensively, take better care of it, obviously. Um, and because most of the time our defense has been really, really solid. So I want to see that these next couple of weeks. Let's play fearless. Uh, you know, let's let's share it. Let's be united out there and really get some momentum uh, as we build towards, you know, heading down to Vegas for the tournament. It's interesting, you know, like it was really fun. The Elite Eight run was, was dynamite. It was fun to cover it. I'm sure you being in the middle of it, you had an absolute blast. How have the last two seasons been on you, sort of psychologically, and and just the toll that that takes? Well, it's been a roller coaster, you know. Uh, and I'm always honest, and I'm not going to duck anything. The last, uh, you know, last year was was brutal. As 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 high a high as we rode the year before, last year was maybe as as low as uh, we've ever been. With and it, and it wasn't so much the win loss record, which was horrendous. It was just not being able to get through to our guys. I mean, we, that's why we coach. We want to make a difference in their lives, which, you know, when they listen and they're engaged, it carries over to success on the court. And I didn't feel like I was able to, to, to really make that difference in their lives. And to me, that that's, that's, that's was way worse than, you know, what our record ended up being. And this year it's been rewarding that we got guys coming back to work day in and day out there. They've been really resilient as, as, as far as putting, you know, whatever behind us and moving on. Uh, but I, I feel bad because these guys deserve a little more success than, than what we've enjoyed. But I know that we're heading in the right direction. And so it it has been very, very draining on, on me. I mean, you've gotten a good chance to know me and what I stand for and how competitive we are and how invested we are uh, here at Oregon State. And, and so it's been a grind. But we've got great support. Uh, you know, the, the, the fan base that's been there from day one hasn't wavered. Uh, they're reaching out you know, constantly and uh, with words of encouragement. And, and so we, we know that it's going to lead to great things. We've just got to – well, we're not going to cut corners. We're not going to compromise who we are and try to change who we are. We know that our way works. we just got to kind of ride it out. Yeah, it's interesting because I can tell this year, I can tell you like your team, that you like your players, and, and that they like you and they respect you and they're coachable. And it just feels like 
maybe uh, they're young and maybe you need to you need more depth and uh, you know you, you you might need a couple players here right and uh, yep. you always will but last year sure. by the end of the year last season I I think you could I think we could all tell that those guys a lot of those guys were checking out or maybe they they didn't see themselves there another season and it just had a feel I don't see that this year I think the I think your guys are engaged. Our guys are engaged, and now I'll, I'll be honest. We've got a couple of guys that, you know, are are down and lacking some confidence because they haven't had the, you know, the the years that, that they'd hoped to have. I think yeah, the, the injuries have, have plagued us a little bit. You talk a little bit about the lack of of depth, but um, these these guys are coming. Like today, we we got after it today in practice, and uh, you know, and at times it, it can get a little chippy. It never crosses the line. Um, a, a year ago, we could time. We could set our watch to it about an hour and five minutes into practice. We knew we were going to have to end things before something erupted, and mm. it's not the case this year. These guys going after each other, uh, but in a positive way. And today, there, you know, there was there was a little bit of angst, and, and and I loved it. Our staff loved it because there's there's some guys that really have some urgency, and there's maybe one or two that just, like I said, licking their wounds, maybe feeling a little sorry, and then they stepped it up when they got challenged. So these guys are still fighting and scrapping. You remember the last week of the year last year, we, we only suited up six guys at Washington yeah. State. We lost yep. by four because we, we had some guys that were a little bit checked out. We said, you're going to come on the trip, but you're not suiting up, and you're going to cheer for your teammates. And gosh darn it, I wish we would have pulled that one out. Even though it was late, it would have sent a great message. But we've, we, we don't have to do that with this group. They're, you know We've had ups and downs, and we've got guys maybe not performing like we need them to. Uh, but... Uh, you know, confidence is one thing, but there's nobody checking out of this deal, that's for sure. Yeah, you've got here an opportunity, I think, in the next three games. you got Stanford, you got Cal, you got Oregon. Uh, chance to, you know, uh, I, I think, you know, there's a, there's a, I think you got a shot at two, two wins in there. And, you know, look, I'm saying you obviously you could win all three, but I, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say that, you know, you got Oregon at home, you get Stanford and Cal at home, and, you know, look out. Like, you get into the tournament on a little run, at least you'd feel better going to Vegas. No, for sure. We, we've got to get some momentum going heading to Vegas. We we know Oregon's a tough bow. They're one of the biggest teams in the country. We're both reeling uh, off of a couple of some losses here. But we, we really feel like uh, we play better at Gill. Uh, you know, we, we play with more confidence. Obviously, the fan – uh, support and the energy in there really helps, but we feel like we can get some momentum uh, this next week and a half, and and then you know it's all about you know kind of matchups that first round in Vegas, but you know there's an advantage to playing that first night. You kind of get through, iron through some of the kinks and that sort of thing, and and then you catch a team that maybe hasn't gone through that in the second round. You never know, but uh, our our deal is again just let's play fearless, throw caution to the wind, have each other's back, give it give it. You know, my my dad always used to say. With regards to baseball, uh, and you can use it in any sport. You got to go down swinging. You know, you don't want to sit there and watch strike three go by you uh, all night long. And uh, that's what the message we're sending to our guys, and that's what we're hoping to see. You guys need some size. Uh, you could get into the portal. Uh, and how do you utilize the portal? And how how can you effectively utilize the portal this off season? Well, you know, it's 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 an interesting deal, and 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 there's you know there's there's a lot of things that go on during the season before names are ever even entered into the portal. Um, you know, there's there's lists of potential porter portal, uh, you know, entries, and and there's calls being made 
you know, to AAU coaches and that sort of thing. And, you know, obviously people will reach out. You've got connections and say, hey, so-and-so may not be happy. And our response is always, until their name's in the portal, we're not going to have any discussions. Uh, you know, I, I just won't do that to another head coach who's coaching a guy up. But what we, when you look at our roster, you see that we're extremely young. We've got to find a way to add some maturity this spring. You know, and, and you know, you, you mentioned, you know, we lose Rodriguez. Big Scholl's been hurt. You know, we hope to get him healthy this spring. Uh, we've, we've signed two young big guys, but we need to get some maturity, I think, in the post and, and then on, on the perimeter. But, um, you know, we've got some lists of, of, of some prep school kids, some junior college guys that we've been talking to. And then once that portal hits, you got to be ready to go. The, the tough thing is, you know, the top 20 guys are, are, are probably already know where they're going before their name hits the wire. And then we've got to work on that next list uh, but there's a lot to be shaped out here uh, in the coming weeks. And, uh, we, we, like I said, we love that core group that we're going to move forward with. And, obviously, we've got we've to add some pieces this offseason. But uh, we're, we're excited about where we're heading again, John. Yeah, hey, look, i got to say something. Like, you know, I, I, I know it's been a tough season, and, and, I, and it happened yesterday. Kelly Graves at Oregon is going through a tough season as well. You know, he's lost seven in a row, and, he, you know, he's not used to that. And it's – it, it's interesting to me that you guys are willing to come on the show, willing to talk about it, willing to talk to your fan bases and, you know, let people hear, you know, how much this is affecting you as well. So, I mean, it, it says a lot about you, Coach, that, you know, you, know, you, didn't, you didn't say, hey, I don't want to come on right now. Oh, I'll come on after, after we win some games. No, you're, you know, I, I think that's important. What would you say to Oregon State fans here, before I cut you loose, Oregon State fans that are listening, what, what message do you, you leave them with? Well, I, I understand the frustration of the last year and a half, but like our, our core group of fans, they, they, they see what the, the, you know, they took the message that we're going to build from the, the, the bottom up. They see the promise in these young guys. Obviously, we've got to add some pieces, but just to stick with us, our way works. You, you, we've seen it over the course of time. I know we've had a couple of tough years where, where some you know, circumstances were out of our control, you know, covid uh, and the portal, those two things hitting at about the same time, made it tough on us. But we're going to we're going to stick to uh, our principles and continue to do things the way we know work uh, in in our programs, and especially uh, you know the way that they work here at Oregon State. We, we we've been involved with it. We've turned it around multiple times. We'll get it going again. So stick with us. I know it hasn't been easy. I, again, I understand some of the frustration, uh, but we're we're going to get through it. And we'll be better for it down the road. I know that. Wayne Tinkle, I appreciate you. Thank you for giving us your time. Always a pleasure, buddy. All the best. Take care. All right. Good luck this weekend. He's got Oregon this weekend. Oregon State then will finish the regular season against Cal and Stanford at home. I think there's an opportunity for one or two wins in there for Oregon State. Um, I also think Oregon State needs to get into the portal. And, you know, it's interesting. I got a chance to, as you know, we took the show on the road. We went to Tempe. And I got a chance to see Arizona State up close. It's it was really interesting to see what Bobby Hurley did in the portal between last season and this season. And he went out and he found five or six players in the portal that could come in and try you know change the complexion of the program. Now Oregon State needs some size. They need playmakers. Uh, they've got you know a shooter or two. But I, I think there's a challenge here as you grow the young guys on this roster. At Oregon State, there's a challenge for Wayne Tinkle, and there's a ticking clock, let's be real, 
you know, his contract, I think Oregon State owes him about $12 million. But, you know, he's got a little bit of time. But I think next season he's got to show some trajectory that gives you hope that he can get the program back to competing and contending for an NCAA tournament berth. Oregon State should not be a bottom feeder in the Pac-12 conference, and that's where they've been in the last two seasons. And I think, I think uh, Wayne Tinkle knows that. Our big splash is next. Back to the bald Face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Coming up, we'll visit with Tyson Alger of the I-5 Corridor. Get this. The win totals for the 2023 college football season are out. Washington is at 9.5, over or under. Oregon's at 9, over or under. Oregon State's at 8.5. So is Utah, 8.5, over or under. Colorado is dipped. It's now down to 4.5, was at 5.5. I have a little more problem with Colorado at four and a half than I did at five and a half. I think this is a four or five win team. I think Vegas has it right right now. We'll talk about that with Tyson Alger of the I-5 Corridor coming up. Uh, Oregon State will start their spring practice coming up on March 7th. So uh, what are we, like two weeks away from the start of spring practice? So uh, we're going to take an early look at the expectations for the spring at Oregon State. Brings us to our big splash. It's the one thing you need to know. This is the one thing you absolutely need to know today. Look, look, look at it. Where? Down there. The big splash. Well, Kevin Durant, uh, not quite ready to make his debut with the Phoenix Suns, but uh, it's starting to look like it'll be soon. He entered the final stages of his uh, return from a knee injury today. He took part in a two-hour workout and a scrimmage, team's first official gathering after the All-Star break. Suns even brought in referees to make it look like a game. Coach Monty Williams said it was a long and an intense workout. Uh, afterwards, the Suns ruled Kevin Durant out for Friday's home game against Oklahoma City. He's officially day-to-day. Keep an eye on Sunday. They're in Milwaukee on Sunday. That could be the day for Kevin Durant to make his debut. Leave it here. BFFT. From the Pac West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald faced truth. Well, I saw those win totals for the 2023 college football season. Washington, nine and a half wins, over or under. Oregon Ducks, nine. Oregon State, eight and a half. Utah, eight and a half. USC, nine and a half. Colorado, four and a half. Cal's at three. Tempted to take the over there. Maybe I should pump the brakes. Maybe I'm just excited that we're closing in on spring practice. Couple weeks away, Oregon State will start. Oregon will be right after them. There's spring games coming up uh, later in March. I believe uh, it's like the 22nd for Oregon State, maybe the 29th for Oregon. Here to talk about it. It's never too soon to talk college football. Tyson Alger, I-5 Corridor, joining us now. Will you cover spring football wire to wire, or what's your plan with the I-5 Corridor? 
Yeah, you know, it's spring football is obviously like a good time for us because it's it's one of the few times of the year outside of the season where you can get player access and talk to coaches. And you know, with the, with the quarter, we don't cover it so much day to day as as maybe at other places. But it's it's a really good time to kind of dive in and, and sink your teeth into some player and coach features. And you know, if you're looking at both sides of uh, uh, the rivalry here, uh, there's some pretty darn good new additions on on both sides of the team. So. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to spring football, especially considering it's all snowy outside, man. Like, just just get me to spring, John. <laughs> yeah, did you get stuck in the snow? Like, were you one of those people driving yesterday, stuck for like five hours on the freeway, or where were you when it started coming down? Yeah, so yesterday was the first day in probably two months that I decided to go down to Eugene. Uh, I'm working on a uh, on a spree. I had an interview with Bo Nix for about 45 mm. minutes, and it was a great nice. it was a great interview. No snow at all on the way down, and then right around the Terwilliger exits, I hit I hit the worst of it, and I was I was stuck in my car from 4:30 to, until I didn't get home until 1 a.m. this morning. Uh, what? So wait was, a minute. Uh, it was it was pretty good. You were you were stuck for eight and a half hours on yeah. i5 just trying to get home yeah so i was i was like in in the very left lane like right before like it kind of splits to the 405 like i5 exit and it was just complete gridlock of semis of buses of like people who had ditched their cars and already taken off and left and uh luckily this is one of the few times that i actually had a full tank of gas so i was just kind of <laughs> chilling in my car i was listening to the the, the, the last half of your radio show it was thank uh, you it was a slow afternoon <laughs> you didn't call in you should have called in when i said are you stuck in the snow uh but tyson halter i5 corridor covering the i5 corridor yesterday for eight and a half hours in his car um let me ask you you know you talk with bo Nix fascinated to read what you write uh i know that you will uh don't want to give away everything here but what was your takeaway from that conversation with Nick's? Is do you feel like it will be a Heisman-like season for him? What you know? How different is this kid from maybe a year ago when you had conversations with him? Yeah, Bo Bo's a fascinating a fascinating guy. This is the first time that I've gotten like an extended kind of one-on-one with him. And you know, the thing that I kind of noticed right away is like this is a guy who for the most part, tries to plan for everything. He, he likes to have his entire day scheduled out. He gets uh, uneasy with free time. Like if he's kind of met with like a two hour window where, where there's nothing on the schedule like that, that kind of bothers him. And that just makes this whole situation that much more interesting because not even he expected to really be in Oregon, in Eugene, Oregon in February of 2023. I mean, last year, you know, I, I think everyone kind of, he came in with like the best case scenario in his head of like, Hey, like this might be a one and done type of thing. Um, his, his, his fiance then wife didn't even move out to Oregon until he had already been here for six months. Like it just kind of seems like it was going to be a pit stop thing. Um, but now like, you know, he, he's been here for over a year. He had that excellent season last year. And obviously there are other things that go into like a guy staying for a year, you know, NIL is a thing, uh, improving on your draft stock is a thing, but like, the, the way he was talking about kind of learning about the rivalry rivalry with Washington and kind of the pit in his stomach after the Oregon State loss, like, like this is a guy who I know it's a cliche to say unfinished business and all that sort of thing, but, like, I, I think he's incredibly motivated and he's incredibly confident because one of the things I asked him yesterday, too, was just, like, you know, did you foresee having last year's season? And, like, before I could even get the question out, he's like, yes. Like, he's just that uber-confident in himself and, like, won't ever really allow himself to, to have any sort of kind of negative self-talk. 
Did he did he talk about what the injury was? Do we know like was it an ankle? Was it a foot? Was it you know the metatarsal? I don't know what it was. He 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 was he was being a little well lower body. It was kind of like uh, interviewing a hockey player. It was a lower body injury. <laughs> he, he didn't really want to get to too too. Okay, too narrows far it down. That, but that narrows it down. Um, but but one of the things he did say though is you know a big goal for him this off season is he is trying to put on more weight, especially his lower half. Um, he he really thought that showcasing what he could do on the ground last year as as uh, was is a, you know we all saw it was a pretty great weapon, and he just wants to be stronger in that, and he wants to be able to kind of take and absorb more hits because you know like Bo Nix is a great athlete, but you know if you're thinking about some of the like the the really pounding type of uh, running quarterbacks like even an Oregon War like if you look back to Jeremiah Masoli, uh, that guy was a little bit thicker than Bo, so I, I think uh, I think we'll see a little bit of a, a little bit of a heavier bow going into next season, but the kind of the balance he's trying to find is still kind of having uh, that flexibility and range and everything with his top half to, to go along with uh, adding some, some muscle to the legs. And meanwhile, at Oregon state, this is a team on the board right now at the sports book in Vegas. You can Oregon state's win total for next season is eight and a half. Um, you know, that's a, that's a sign of respect that, you know, you're basically betting is this a nine win team and, they're coming off a 10-win season. How much of a of an impact can DJ Uyunglele make in for a Jonathan Smith team? Yeah, I think he can make all all the difference. Like I, I would take the over there. I, I think I think Oregon State will be right in the mix for the Pac-12 title this season. Uh, I all season on the corridor was just writing that if if Oregon State actually had a. Uh, even serviceable quarterback last season, like they legitimately could have been in the conversation for the playoff. And so uh, to get a guy like DJ in who, you know, had his ups and downs at Clemson, but is uh, incredibly physically gifted quarterback um, who is motivated. Um, I'm really looking forward to see what like Jonathan Smith can, can dial up with that guy. Cause he just really, you know, there, there's been a couple decent quarterbacks during the Smith era, like Kristen, Kristen Gebbio was all right. Uh, or sorry. Uh, Luton was okay. Um, but they've never had an athlete like this on offense where, I mean, it was just three years ago. Uh, I was down at St. John Bosco uh, waiting to interview uh, DJ, and it was just a lineup of coaches who were coming out there. I ran into Chip Kelly in the hallway. Uh, I, I think uh, Clemson had just been there. I mean, like everybody wanted this kid, including Oregon, um, and I, I think he still has a lot left in the tank. Tyson Alger, I-5 Corridor, is with us. I want to just ask you. Let's let's go down the list. Washington at nine and a half wins. You already said you take the over on Oregon State at eight and a half. What do you do with the Huskies at nine and a half? Are they a ten win team again? Uh, I want to take the under there, and it's, it's not because I don't think Washington's going to be really good. I just think that they, you know, they beat uh, they they beat Oregon and Oregon State last year on kind of last possessions of both. Or the, the Oregon game was last possession, and the Oregon State game it was just. You know that was a, a winnable game for the Beavers up in Seattle. I, I think the Pac-12 North is just too strong this year, and I think one of these games has to kind of take take a step back. And you know, 11 wins last year for Washington was pretty darn incredible. Uh, Michael Penix is one of the best quarterbacks in the country, uh, but they had a lot of stuff bounce their way last year. So uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they're above that that, that total. But I'm, I'm going to take the under for them this year. Uh, let's move to the Ducks. They're sitting at uh, at nine as they're over under. Uh, basically, are they an eight win team, a nine win team, a ten win team? How do you see Dan Lanning in year two? I, I think that nine is kind of 
right in the sweet spot. I, I, I know that's cheating for the over and under, but no, uh, I, I, I really like that, that Bo is coming back. I think Bucky Irving is one of the most underrated running backs in the country. Uh, they are losing some pieces to that offensive line, but I, I, you know, with Troy Franklin coming back at wide receiver, Terrence Ferguson at tight end, I really, really, really like the makeup of the Ducks offensively. Uh, the big question of you know whether or not they can get over and propel them into a potential playoff contention is, can Dan Lanning create a defense that resembles a, a Dan Lanning defense that Oregon hired him for? I mean, last year was just a disaster on that side of the ball. They weren't able to generate any pressure in the front seven, and now they're losing um, on the back end. They're losing Christian Gonzalez, who's going to be a, a, a top, maybe a top ten pick in the NFL draft. Like they're losing some good players on that end. Noah Sewell as well. So, you know, there's there's a lot of questions in the air for that team on that side of the ball. But I I think we'll see an improvement though, because I just I can't imagine that last year defensively sat well with Lanning. And I, I know he's the head coach now, and he has to look over the whole team. But like that's that's kind of his baby, and and it was it was ugly. <laughs> yeah, what do you make of that? Because I was that was to me the most puzzling thing of their season. It was Lanning's defense not looking like he had his hands on it. Tosh Lapoy is the coordinator, but we know Dan Lanning is a defensive-minded head coach. That's kind of where his area of expertise is. Did, do you think Dan Lanning at some point last season rolled his sleeves up, got more involved? I suspected in the Utah game he might have been more involved. There was more, It seemed to be more vocal in the sideline. But I, it really puzzled me that they just didn't have an identity on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And, and I, you know, it, it's always kind of hard to get out of them, kind of like, you know, how, who, who's calling what and, and how much input is this. But, you know, I think I think Dan Lanning is a better defensive mind than Tosh. And, and that's no disrespect to Tosh. But, you know, that, that guy was brought in for his recruiting, recruiting abilities, which he's very, very, very good at. Um, <laughs> excuse me. Um, yeah, yeah, man, like it. it it, it, it'll it'll be fascinating this year to, to, to see what happens with them on that side. Yeah, and, and look, I, I also think that this is a conference now, you know, it'll be USC and UCLA's final year as members of the conference. I, I would really like to see, uh, you know, somebody, as Utah did a year ago, somebody not named USC and UCLA end up in the conference title game. Do you have a way-too-early Tyson Alger I-5 corridor prediction for who plays in Vegas at the end of next season? We're going to have Oregon State coming out of the north. And unfortunately, I think just USC has too much talent on that offense to not come out of the south. Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is just like a super randomly great year for Chip down at UCLA. Like, Dante Moore is the real deal, man. And I, I think he could be a, a stud as a true freshman. But, uh, I, I kind of love the, the prospect of the matchup of uh, the underdog Beavers going up against uh, the, uh, the mighty USC Trojans who are about to ditch the Pac-12 conference. And I, I think, that, you know, I think everyone in the Pac-12 would probably be pulling for Oregon State on that end, but that would be a heck of a matchup to watch. Love to see that. Love to see Oregon and Oregon State, too, uh, in a Civil War rematch a week later in Vegas. Could happen without divisions. Tyson Alger, uh, you can read him at i5corridor.com. I appreciate you. Uh, when is the Bonex piece coming out? So people who subscribe now, when will they uh, expect to get that in their email inbox? Yeah, it'll be it'll be in people's inboxes Monday morning. Okay, so between now and Sunday night, 
Go to i5corridor.com, get a subscription, read about Bo Nix. Tyson Alger, thank you. Hey, thank you so much, John. You bet. There he goes. Win totals. Steven, we got to kick this around. Love it. You yeah. got, never, you never got, too early, man. Yeah, Washington at nine and a half. Uh, over or under? I'd have to go under on that one. Um, I do like Washington, but I do think, you know, I think Tyson said this as well. Like, they kind of overachieved a little bit, got a little lucky in some of the games. Um, I do like Michael Penix coming back, but to expect them to get 10 wins, I think that's a little too rich. Uh, Oregon at nine feels like it's on the money. I think that that line is really nicely positioned. I, I actually think uh, they could go nine and a half there. I mean, but you're really saying, can they go to can they get to 10 wins? I think Oregon can get to 10 wins, but I need to see the defense in the spring. I need to see that, uh, especially the front seven on the defense, will have some kind of identity. They just they had no identity last year. And Bo Nix can carry you, and Michael Penix can carry you. But if Washington and Oregon don't play defense, uh, they'll leave some wins out there. How about Oregon State at eight and a half? Well, real quick about Oregon, I wanted to yeah. add this, John. They play Texas Tech and in, in Lubbock week two. If they can get by that game, they should be 5-0 when they take on Washington and Seattle. So I think, for me, 9 is a perfect number, but I would lean over on that because it's because I think the easy part of the schedule is at the start of the year. For Oregon State, I think it's over. And I you know, I have, I was kind of down on Oregon State last year, and they, they overachieved in my mind, but I have no reason to doubt these guys. And with DJU coming in, I like Jonathan Smith, what he can do. I think he's going to provide... DJU with some consistency on the offensive side, not put too much on him with Damian Martinez in the backfield. I think Oregon State, you know, we've talked about this. They were a quarterback away last season. This really seems like a year, you know, a team that can get to 9-10 victories and in the Pac-12 title game. Yeah, and look, I think it's going to be a lot of fun to, to see these teams during the season, but we're going to be all over it really starting in a week or 10 days from now as spring football ratchets up. And I've asked Oregon State because Oregon State starts before Oregon. We'd like to get Jonathan Smith on this show next week. Let's start talking football. I mean, I'm ready for that. Anna's going to pop in the studio. We have so much to talk about. Uh, Want you here for it. Leave it here. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Anna's in the studio. I don't say that to Stephen to mean like, hey, watch what you say. Anna's <laughs> in the studio. I'm just announcing. I thought it was more like, hey, Stephen, be quiet. <laughs> the mouse is in the house. The warden's here. <laughs> Tighten it up. Tighten it up, folks. Best, best behavior. <laughs> did you, uh, you know, did you as a kid, let's say, Anna, did you have sleepovers or did you have friends that would be over your house? Uh, did you, yeah. Did you sure. ever have friends over? Yeah. Like if you're... It, did you ever have friends over when your parents weren't there? Probably not till I was way older. Yeah. 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 I, Why, you did? Yeah, it just reminded me of something. Uh, we had, uh, my parents had this weird view about video games. Okay. Okay, they didn't want us to play video games on the TV that was in the living room. I don't blame them. Why? It means they can't watch what they want to watch. But that wasn't the reason. My dad had this, I think, this idea that playing video games on the TV was going to burn, like, images into the TV. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. you'd get, what do they call that? Ghost uh, yeah. know, image of something? Yeah. Because in those days, A, the TVs weren't as good. Like, they were giant, massive yeah. TVs, like, big 
tubes and all you know all yeah. stuff you had to connect. And then the video games weren't as good either. Like yeah. you had Pong, you had Asteroids, and then when we got Nintendo, yeah, we had Tech Mobile. All of a sudden, it was like the world opened. Wow. And I can remember my parents going, "We don't want you to play video games on the TV." Well, they weren't there one time. Yeah. And I had my friend Chip over, and uh, <laughs> we were in college at this point. <laughs> we were playing Tech Mobile on the TV. And uh -oh. I heard my parents' car pull into the driveway. And I looked at Chip. And he, I hadn't told him, we're not allowed to play on the TV. Oh, no. I looked at Chip, and I was like, we got to clean this up. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, we're just pulling cords out left and right. <laughs> parents are home. Like, we weren't really doing anything bad. And then it turns out your dad was right. The tech yeah. mobile images were actually burned onto the screen. My dad was like, why is Bo Jackson in the middle of uh, the TV screen? <laughs> uh, you know, we had another time, too. Like, did you ever have a crime at your house? Wow. Uh, not that a I crime. know of. A crime committed where you had to call the police. No, not that I know of. All right. We had, uh, we lived a little rural. Uh-huh. Okay. So we had a couple of weird things happen when I was a kid. One, people would run out of gas. There's a two-lane road. It was a highway. Yeah. That was probably a quarter mile from my parents' doorstep. Mm -hmm. Okay. And people would run out of gas on the highway. You're in the middle of nowhere. And they'd walk in. Sometimes they'd knock on the door. Hmm. It'd be like 11 o'clock at night, midnight. Yeah. They'd be like, hey, I ran out of gas. We didn't, people didn't have cell phones back then. Right. Oh, horrific. And so they'd ask, you know, can, can I uh, borrow a gas can or can you give me a ride to town and I'll get gas? Like, my parents did that a couple times. Wow. With strangers. Good people, you and, But one time, somebody who ran out of gas did not knock on the door. They instead cut the garden hose and siphoned gas from my parents' vehicle. No way. And so I woke up, and my parents were kind of scrambling around going, oh, there was, you could tell there was something was wrong. Yeah. And the garden hose was cut, and there was gasoline spilled, and they deduced that somebody ran out of gas and siphoned gasoline from the car. Wow. Hopefully they didn't get a mouthful of gas. And then took off. Well, and hopefully to me, they did get a mouthful of gas. Actually. That really rattled me. Yeah. I, I was probably like 12 years old, but it felt like an invasion of space. Because it was. It felt unsafe. Yeah. And then we had another weird thing happen, okay? This is weird thing number three that happened at the Conzano household when I was growing up. Well, I'm sure there were a lot more than that. Uh, this is really strange, though. We, my, we would leave our house, okay? We came home a couple times, and the TV was on hmm. when we had turned the TV off prior to leaving. TV's on. Sliding door open. Oh. Okay? Okay. This happened a couple times. My parents dismissed it as, oh, we just forgot, or, you know, did we leave that open? Yeah. This is weird. Well, one time we came home, dude was sitting in the, in the family room watching TV. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was a guy who worked at, there was a nursery that was near the uh, yeah. near our house, who would just wander over. He just wanted to watch TV during the day. And he would see if we were home. And if we were home, he, he wouldn't, apparently wouldn't do anything. But we walked in, and he would look surprised and ran out the back door. No way. And eventually we talked to him because we all recognized him. We're like, that guy works over <laughs> there at that nursery. And he said... He just wanted to watch TV. He would never take anything. He wasn't doing anything. <laughs> so, and so what happened? Nothing. We, they didn't call the police or nothing. My parents just said, don't do it anymore. 
Like, you know. Wow, your parents are very laid back. Very easygoing people. Yeah, I would Except say. on us kids. Well, yeah. You know? That would have gotten me grounded. That's insane. I was terrified to have a video game. And uh, meanwhile, Miguel was watching TV on the oh couch. That's his name. His name was Miguel. I can't believe your parents. <laughs> like, didn't they, didn't they, like, talk to the nursery managers and be like, yeah, hey, they were, upset. they were upset. He was fairly young. He was, probably like a, he was probably, like, late teens. Yeah. You know? And it turned out, I mean, the real story is Miguel didn't have a TV. Yeah. And so watching TV was like, it was a big deal to Miguel. Right. And so my parents, I think, had empathy and went, oh my gosh. I understand why. Well, like, hey, anybody who's ever watched good TV would know. <laughs> I got to know what he was watching, though. Like, he, did he look at his watch and go, hey, Laverne and Shirley are on right now. I got to get in there. Oh. I got to see that show. Like, you know. Credit to your parents for... Uh... For that kind of grace. You think they should have flipped out on Miguel, called the police? Well, I don't know. I wasn't there. <laughs> it's Maybe that's just kind of a small town mentality, like, hey, Well, they talked Miguel. to him, and, yeah. you know, they said, hey, you know, don't yeah. do that. Cut it out. That's not a good thing. Yeah. You're going to get shot. You know, my dad had a gun. Yeah. You're going to get killed trying to watch Laverne and Shirley or Happy Days or whatever he was watching. Three's Company, maybe. Three's yeah. Company. I would climb through a window and watch Three's Company. Yeah. But uh, any, no, you never had any of the, uh, those altercations at, at the motel well, on at the, Sandy Boulevard? That's the thing. Like, like at the motel, yeah. I mean, we could have called the police every day if we wanted. <laughs> like, but I'm talking about, yeah, no. I mean, we had, like, meth labs uh, and all kinds of fun You were running a meth fun lab? Things. No, I wasn't running one. <laughs> a tenant was running one, unbeknownst to us, in Unit 15. That was, that was quite what a discovery. What is that, Walter White and Jesse? Yeah. Yeah, it was kind of like that. It's like it wasn't a Winnebago. It was just Unit 15. How did you guys find out there was a meth lab in there? Well, because eventually we had to go in and try to clean the room. Like these were people that were renting on a weekly basis, one of the kitchenette rooms. And they were coming out in like spacesuits, and you were like, something's <laughs> not right here? Yeah, it was just, uh, I don't know what exactly tipped us off. It was the fact that like three weeks went by, and they are like, yeah, we don't need you to service the room ever. And that's when we got a little suspicious, like what's going on? So... We used the manager's key and opened the door and discovered, you know, a full-on meth lab like, you guys were in like, operation. You were like uh, Gus in El Pollo uh, Loco. You guys had the uh, <laughs> well, we weren't you, dealing. You had the legit business. Yeah, you were the front. Yeah, you yeah, know? we were the front. No wonder you were into uh, you were into that show. Breaking Bad. Breaking Bad. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, blanking on the name of it. I know. Um, <laughs> we're we're currently watching. Uh, by the way, Steve. Before I move on, Stephen. Yeah. Did you ever have to call the police? For anything involving, you know, a break-in, was there a crime committed at your house? Uh, no, no crimes, but we are 95% convinced that my childhood house is haunted. Um, like, there have been weird things. There's, my, I, my parents have heard noises at night. Um, there was one time where it was like 2 or 3 in the morning and someone, you know, woke up to go to the bathroom and the wind, like the mirror in the bathroom was all foggy. Like someone had just taken a shower, but no one took a shower. Um, also in the Ooh. bathroom as well, like the 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 glass door to the shower like just shattered one day. So there's been some weird things that have happened. Uh, oh, yeah. at so do you think Miguel was getting a shower at your place I, and watching TV at our place? He might have been. I don't know. Like so we're so no uh, no nothing to call the cops about, but we're just haunted. So my dad has said like he just uh, you know when he hears noises like he'll just. Say out just loud, the, like just the ghost. Yeah, he'll talk to the ghost, be like, "Hey, you know what? We're we're good people. Like, uh, let's, let's call call truce here." So uh, that, that has been said before. 
Your dad is like the kid on <laughs> Sixth Sense. Yeah, exactly. Wait, did all the occurrences happen in the bathroom, though, or were there occurrences that, like, took place outside of the bathroom? No, like, there's, um, the voices, they said, came from my room when I was growing up. Oh, jeez, voices? Yeah. It might have just been me talking. It might have been me talking, like, in my sleep. I don't know, but, like, my parents said they would hear voices, like, coming outside of my door. Was it Bill Shonley's voice, and you had the radio underneath your pillow? That could or, be like... it. That could be it. No, I don't know what it is. I, I really have no idea. But... but didn't that freak you out? Like, did you? Could you? Could, you just went back to sleep the next night, or yeah, I would have never slept again. The only one that really bothered me was the one where it shattered the shower because it scared me. Really, like it woke me up and scared me. So I just played video games the rest of the day. Man, haunted, haunted, haunted Anna. Yeah, that's freaky. You you said before Anna too because we were talking about the meth lab you had in Unit 15 or whatever, <laughs> but you 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 guys because you were owned you owned and operated a motel at Sandy Boulevard and 115. Yeah, yeah. Now illustrious somebody, okay. intersection. And for people go by there now, it's the best motel. Yeah, is what it says. Mm -hmm. But it's not the best motel. It's that's just the name of it. <laughs> But there were other motels up and down Sandy Boulevard. Yeah, all of them had homicides. All of them. Every single one. In the 17 years that we ran that motel, every single other motel on that stretch of Sandy had a homicide. And, uh, yeah, it was. we didn't have one because the way my mom ran it. I mean, she made every customer sign, like, a 17-point agreement and present two pieces of ID. She was very militant about, you know, the idea that you will not commit crimes on the property. But, you know, you do what you can, and you still wind up with a meth lab in Unit 15. So Yeah, but that's better than, than a body. Yeah. You're well, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know, I mean, I guess. I mean, maybe somebody could argue different, but yeah. that's better than having the coroner pull into the lot. That's not good for business, right? And yeah. Not only that, it's not good for your sense of safety. Correct. I mean, did the people that are breaking laws really care? Like if your mom's like, hey, don't break laws here. Like it really it really made them not do yeah, it. Yeah, how do you how did well, she go against that? Well, for her it was just a first line of deterrence. Like basically, you know, if you're going to try to break laws, at least we're going to try to sway you away from our property. Her whole concept was like it's she called it blood money. Like we don't want your blood money if you're coming here to do sex trafficking or drug dealing or anything of the sort, weapons trading, you know, such things. Uh, we, don't, we don't want your business. So at, the, at least she was trying to set that tone. You know, I don't, I don't know how well that really worked, but, but it I made can. It, it made it more yeah. difficult because you had to have two forms of ID. Yeah. And then you had to look at this lady, and they're probably thinking, this 4-foot-11-inch lady is going to be a headache. Yeah. Like, there's easier places for me Correct. to do bad things. Correct. I'll go down the street. If I'm going to murder if, somebody, yeah, it's going to be down the street. If I'm going to murder somebody. <laughs> I don't want the hassle. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. deal with the four foot 11 lady. <laughs> well, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't beyond my mom to go if we like, cause we would do our nightly rounds before closing up shop at the night. Like and that was, that was Shawshank. Yeah. And like, that was the thing too, is like we closed down at 10 o'clock at night. Cause she was like, nothing good is going to happen from staying open and checking people in past that hour. So we would make our rounds, and if we found things that were happening that were suspicious or illegal, like you can't – it got to the point where on that stretch of sand, if you called the police, they just wouldn't come because they would cut – they would literally have to come every day. So you had to handle it yourself. So like my mom, all, you know, 410 of her, would use her manager's key, just unlock, you know, the unit door and start throwing people's possessions out into the parking lot at 10 o'clock at night. 
in broken English Wasn't going, she ever out, out, you out now. <laughs> Wasn't she worried for her safety? She was, but, you know, I, I think she put on a brave face for me. I was terrified. Like, I would be standing by the manager's unit with the phone in my hand, ready to call 911 if I heard gunshots or screaming. But um, that's, you know, she was fearless. Like, that's the thing, is uh, she was insistent that that kind of activity not happen. And it worked, for we, the most part. Yeah, it worked. You didn't have we, any bodies. The murder police never came. <laughs> You know? Yeah. That's the good thing. We took the You should have put that on the sign. You know how it says HBO, <laughs> yeah. phones? Yeah. It should have said, murder police have never been here. <laughs> you know? That would have been a selling point. Strong selling point. You yeah. know? You yeah. can come here. Yeah. You can get a vibrating bed. We did not have, did you a, have a vibrating bed. You didn't have bed. that? Oh. No, All right. All right. Vibrating. You can get an HBO. Yeah. You can, yeah. We have a rotary phone. Yeah. You, you can got a hot get, plate in the room. You can get meth, but no murder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, you know, you're not going to leave here in a body bag. Hopefully. There you go. See? That's that's really interesting. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I forgot what we were talking about when I started the segment, but I liked, <laughs> I liked where it ended up. Leave it here. You got the BFT. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. I wrote a column today about the Taylor family, J.T. Taylor. Uh, I met him 2006. I had written uh, a column about the Trailblazers, and I got, a, I got an email, like, oh, dark 30 email. Like, it was early, and it was unusual to get an email that early because I thought that newspaper – and this is back in the day where people were reading a hard copy of the newspaper and then handwriting a letter or emailing. But that newspaper had barely hit the streets. It was at like, you know, 4 or 5.30 in the morning. I get this email from JT saying, you know, hey, the, you know, he didn't agree with me that the Blazers, I had written about the troubles of the Blazers. And keep in mind, they were coming off a 61-loss season, 21 and 61. The arena was in bankruptcy. Paul Allen had thrown the arena in bankruptcy to try to get more favorable lending terms from the lenders. Um, and the franchise was in trouble. It was wobbling. And he wrote an email saying, you know what, they're going to be okay. And I disagree with your column. And, oh, by the way, we're coworkers. And it, it, it caught my ear, or my eye, rather, when he said we're coworkers. And then he went on subsequently in the email to explain that he was a newspaper delivery person and that he had uh, he, his route was in Felony Flats in southeast Portland and that he had um, had his kids in the car early in the morning. He had a six-year-old, he had an eight-year-old, he had an 11-year-old, and he said, we get in the car and we, they, they help me, they roll the papers and I deliver them at like 3.30, 4 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, man. So I replied to the email. I thanked him for writing. And I said, hey, one question. Where's your wife? And uh, he shot back a two-word answer in an email. It said, she's dead. And it wasn't 24 hours later. It was a day later that I got in my car and I drove to 
JT's house to meet him and his three kids. I had to know this guy, and it's true, we were co-workers. I wrote the columns, he delivered the columns. And uh, I met his kids, Peyton, Jade, and Josie, uh, just adorable kids, and I found out a little bit about their story. They love baseball, they love the Blazers, true family, there have been some financial struggles, they were on food stamps, they didn't have a lot, and it turns out that the mother of those three children and JT's wife, Roxanne, had passed away from a rare blood disorder that uh, left her in a hospital bed for the last 37 days of her life. She died. He was left with three kids. Um, subsequently, within a month or two of her death, he lost his job at a manufacturing plant. He was in a bad place. And I wrote a column about JT and those kids, uh, Peyton, Josie, and Jade. And, you know, the, the thing that struck me in being at that house, Anna, you may remember the column, but the thing that struck me was they didn't have very much. Like, the 11-year-old daughter was cooking dinner. She was making noodles at the stove. The 8-year-old was helping the 6-year-old get a bowl of cereal and pick the ants out of the cereal because that's all they had to eat. And JT and I were talking in their living room, and he tells me, explains to me, and I said, how do you do this? How do you get through this? You know, you got your kids in the car, it's 3 o'clock in the morning, you're delivering the paper, then you got to, you know, get them ready for school, then you got to go try to find a job yourself, and you have to make ends meet. And, you know, he said, look, we're behind on rent, uh, our bills are unpaid. Uh, he said that he would sometimes go into the closet with a pillow, and he would cry and sob into the pillow, and then he would come out and he would tell the kids, hey, who wants to listen to the Blazer game? It was uh, difficult to hear that and see that, but I still felt like this is a family that had a lot of joy and love around it. They were a true team, very easy to root for. Um, you remember that column at all? <laughs> of course. Of course. I can't. I, I, I will never forget it. And it, and seeing them since as well has been yeah. incredible. We've run into them over the years. And what happened after the column was readers who read the column responded. I mean, they, you know, they just, it, it moved people. They reached out. They offered to pay his bills. They paid off what he owed for to PGE and, you know, Northwest Natural and... They got him caught up on their rent. And then uh, this guy who had a rental house said, hey, it's vacant right now. It needs some work, but I would love for this family to live in the house for a year. So they live rent-free in a house. Then we had two small business owners who reached out and said, hey, I don't know what he does. I don't know what he's good at, but I can find something in my business for him to do. And they gave him a job. And, and they had never been to a Blazer game as a family because you know what the tickets cost. We had several season ticket holders who said, I would like them to have my tickets and go to the game. And so they took the kids to the game. Well, I wrote a column today catching up on that family 16 years later. And it's remarkable to see how the kids have aged. Um, Jade, who was 11 at the time, is now 27. She's got uh, a boy and two girls, just like her mother did. Josie's 24. She got married. She has a 5-year-old son. Peyton's 22. He was a 6-year-old little kid at the time. He's working as an electrician. He's on campus at Intel. And I just wrote kind of a catch-up. If you want to read that and read what's going on with this family, you can do it at johnconzano.com. But it got me thinking about something else, Anna, because we spent a lot of time 
talking about selfish athletes or in some cases terrific athletes and how fun it is to watch, you know, players who are the best at their sport excel. Or we or we look at coaches and we go, you know, you know, it's awesome to see that coach, you know, navigating this difficult season. And we forget sometimes that the fans that are in the seats are often navigating difficult times themselves. And those fans are kind of the glue of this sports world. Like that family was utilizing the Blazer broadcasts with Brian Wheeler calling the games as their little escape. They would go into the garage, they would put on the Blazer game, and the kids would play, and they would listen as a family to this basketball team that was horrible at the time, going nowhere, but it was their, it was their thing. That's a beautiful thing. I mean, that, that is one of the treasures of sports, right? We can sit here and talk about the downsides all we want. but um, and, and, and that's come up so many times among people that we know that have long-term illness, that happen to be big fans of a particular team. Uh, I'm thinking about the Husky fan that we know that is a friend of the family. And, yep. like, it was – it was one of the things that he could really hone in on and focus on, you know, rather than think about the fact that he had stage four colon cancer. You know, that's uh, that's one of the great things to appreciate about sports. I don't know. It just got me thinking today. I wrote about it. I've stayed in touch with JT over the years. Like, we'll exchange. This is, like, this is the relationship we have. Like, Thanksgiving. Yeah. I'll send him a note. How are you doing? Yeah. He'll send a note back. When I launched johnconzano.com last March, he was one of the first people to reach out and go, hey, your new thing is going to be awesome. Hmm. And he said, this is like Howard Stern leaving for Sirius XM. <laughs> and then he was like, are you going to cuss in your thing? And I like, we had a laugh about That's it. That's a very JT thing to yeah, ask. <laughs> right. But this morning it was really cool because I wrote this column. They didn't know I was writing about him. I just said, here's what's going on with him now. And JT reached out, and he's working at a shipyard now. He's got a great job. The kids are doing well. And Peyton is working as a you know electrician. And apparently Peyton read the column before anybody else did and reached out to his dad. And he was like, you know, Katana wrote about us again. <laughs> like all these years later. It was just a catch-up. If you remember the original story from 2006, it closes the loop. It also shows the power that you have as an audience you did that like people put their arms around this family and really lifted them up and i think it was unimaginable what they went through they lost their mom we talk a lot about resilience and grit i mean credit to jt for raising those kids uh the way that he did it cannot have been easy uh credit to your readers and the audience for stepping in because you just don't know you don't know where people are at you don't know what struggles they're going through and it showed that all they needed was a little bit of a lift at that crucial turning point in their lives, right? Yeah, I think I left them that day when I drove away from their house that day. They were in the front yard. The kids all had their baseball gloves on, and they were playing catch. I was crying as I drove down the street. I mean, I looked in the rearview mirror, and it just crushed me because – they had every reason. This family had every reason to sit around and feel sorry for itself. Right. And they were out in the front yard as a family, smiling and laughing and playing catch. Because it costs you nothing to stand in your front yard and play catch. It costs you nothing to be in your garage and listen to Bill, or Bill Shonley or Brian Wheeler on a radio call. 
it was they just were finding little pieces of joy and it involves sports the whole thing involves sports i just i loved that family and 16 years later it's just awesome to hear that you know jt's now a grandfather of <laughs> like six kids that's great so uh wish them well and i appreciate everybody who back in the day put their arms around that family if you want to read it go to johnconzano.com right now you can read it leave it here Back to the Bald Face Truth with John Canzano. Peter Sampson is up next with The Pulse from 6 to 7 on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson and The Pulse coming up uh, top of the hour. I mean, excuse me, at 6 o'clock top of the other hour uh coming up uh after the five o'clock uh update from steven anna will do the five at five will uh no doubt i i'm curious to see if don't tell me the answer if the aaron Rodgers thing is in your five at five we talked about it at the beginning of the show but i think the way the audience cycles i think there's more to be said about this aaron Rodgers <laughs> thing and the fact that this happened in our state it's the gift that keeps on giving. What are what's the state of Oregon known for? Because I Virginus. used Okay. Portlandia? Yeah. Tanya Harding? Oh, come on. No, come on. What else? When you go around the country, Stephen, Peter, what's the state of Oregon known for? Yeah, Tanya Harding is a good one. Um <laughs> <laughs> uh, weed probably. Oh, yeah. Man. Yeah. How green we are in yeah. so many ways. Right. Like weed and I think like beer and you know, stuff like that. But like, okay, I when I first got to the uh, newspaper in 2002, I would find myself traveling, and people would say, "Oh, you're from Portland," and they'd go, "Jailblazers." That was a couple of years. Yeah, I'm glad that has not. Yeah, but that's the first thing continued. people would say. Right. And you know, before that, I think people did think about Tanya Harding for a couple of years in there. Um, Portlandia came up more recently. It's kind of died out. Uh huh. Uh, you know, it, during the pandemic, it was people going, it was your city on fire. Right. What What do people say today if you're traveling? And maybe listeners can help us out here. If you've been on a plane, you've traveled, you have relatives in other parts of the country, or people learn you're from Portland or from the state of Oregon, what's the first thing they say? 503-417-7575. What do they say? Yeah, I got to know. Because, yeah, yeah. It, it hasn't. Because it used to be, it was jailblazers for a while. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Um, you know, I hope that uh, the brand and image of Portland and just sort of the region has improved. I think by and large, you know, when you say that you're from, even generally, like the Pacific Northwest, people talk about how beautiful it is. And, you know, they have this image in their head yeah. that we're all like granola eating, Teva wearing uh backpackers is it teva you know? or teva i think the folks at shoe mill clarified that yeah. it was teva i've called it teva always but yeah um but yeah you know like that's not a bad thing if they all think that you know we're like these uh hearty outdoors people i don't know if that's good though i don't know <laughs> if that's how i want to be branded why what's wrong with that hearty outdoor guy that's great what am i wearing flannel I yeah got, what's wrong with I got a, flannel i got a beard yeah i got some boots on yeah you know? Yeah, your dog has its own backpack, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> I uh, 
I kind of I kind of think that what we need to do is we need to start branding ourselves because and you know what I get a lot of weird things too when I'm traveling. Yeah. People will ask me what time zone it's in. <laughs> and I'm like, "Do you did you not have geography?" <laughs> What time zone is Just that? Just tell them the same one as Seattle, and then they'll yeah. know. And then but, they'll know. But I've had people like in like the Mountain Time. Yeah. People in Denver or Salt Lake. Yeah. Or Phoenix or whatever. They'll be like, "What time zone are you in?" And I'm like, "We're like way <laughs> Pacific time zone. We're about as far west as you can go." What are you talking about? If I take a step to the left, I'm in the ocean. <laughs> like, give me a break. All right, coming up to five at five, the five biggest stories as Anna sees it. And uh, we'll find out what the country thinks of our region. Leave it here. B-F-F-T. From the Pack West Center in downtown Portland, presented by High Caliber Millwrights, here's John Canzano with the bald-faced truth. We had a big snow day today. I don't know if you have kids in your household, but our eight-year-old at, oh, about 6.30 this morning was uh, seen outside in our backyard throwing her first snowball of the day. Are they going to be late tomorrow? Are the schools going to declare that it's going to be a slow open tomorrow, Anna? What are you anticipating? Uh, that's what I'm guessing, because based on the forecast, it looks like it's just going to, like, thaw and then refreeze overnight, and everybody really enjoys that, you know. Freezing ice. Skidding on the roads. So they'll uh, start late, I'm going to guess, tomorrow. What do you think about some of these schools? Stephen was telling us uh, some of these high schools have went to distance learning today. Oh. Yeah. That's like. Made me want to throw up. That's like triggering. Mm-hmm. Triggering. Oh, man. Yep. I think that's a bad idea. I think that's cruel and unusual. Oh, is that because they're just trying to, like, maintain their funding? Yes. And avoid tacking on another day 100%. to the end of the school year? Probably? 100%. It's either that or it's because it's a private school, because it is Central Catholic. Oh. Or they're just mean. That, too. <laughs> Could be that they're just they're mean. Those academics... At Central Catholic. Just, but you can't. It's, we know that the distance learning's not the same as the classroom learning. You know? I know. We know that. So they know that. They're not fooling anybody, okay? <laughs> You're just mean is what you are. Uh, this brings us to the five at five. It's the five biggest things that Anna thinks are, is going on. The five at five. Number one. Anna, what's on top of the list? All right. I know you talked about this earlier, but... There's even more reason to discuss it now. Packers quarterback, at least for the time being, left the darkness retreat that he went on. Aaron Rodgers? Aaron Rodgers. It was meant to give him clarity about his life path. He revealed earlier this month that he would be going on a four-day-and-night getaway that would take place in complete darkness and isolation. Turns out he did it in Oregon! So maybe that's what we can be known for. Sky Cave in Ashland, Oregon. Scott Berman owns the facility. It's on hundreds of uh, acres in southern Oregon. 300 square foot dark room, partially underground. Queen bed, bathroom, and a meditation-like mat. It does have electricity and lights that can be turned on from inside the room, by the way. So it's not really dark unless you want it to be. Yeah. Kind of like... 
everybody else's house. <laughs> like overnight, if you turn your lights off while you're sleeping, you're you're essentially in a in the Hobbit-like darkness <laughs> that Aaron enjoyed over uh, his three days day. By the way, though, if you're looking to do the same thing. That place is booked for the next 18 months, and hundreds of people are on the wait list. So good get for, in line. Good for business. Good for them. Yeah. Uh, no word yet on what he's deciding, whether he's going to retire or go back to the Packers or go on the open market. We don't know yet whether he has a better sense of where he is at in life and where he's headed next. There you go. Uh, I've invited the owner of that facility to come on the show. So hopefully he'll come on tomorrow's show along with Portland City Commissioner Dan Ryan, who will be joining us. All right, go on. What do you got, number two? Number two, uh, we mentioned this already, but things are developing, it sounds like, for Charles Barkley. He's talking about this potential show on CNN uh, with Gail King, you know, Oprah's best friend. That's pretty amazing gig, by the way, that she's just known as, like, Oprah's best friend, That's and then suddenly she's everywhere. It's yeah, really it's a big job. Remarkable. So this would be, like, a, a news program. It wouldn't be a daily show. He's talking about it because, you know, he's got a lot of other existing obligations and such for TNT with the NBA. Um, Do you think he's really interested in doing this, or he just wants to use this as leverage? in some other deal that he's trying to negotiate for himself. I think this may actually happen. He's saying that uh, CNN is serious about this. They want to pair him with Gail King. They don't have anything set in stone yet. And he's saying he's only considering it because of his respect for Gail. Yeah. I, I just don't think he's a, I don't know if he's an every weeknight guy. You know what I mean? Like, he can do this show during the, during the NBA season, he pops up during the basketball season. But is Charles Barkley a five-night-a-week, let-me-lock-myself-into... No, it's not. It's not It's not a daily show. No? No, it's not a daily show. Well, then what is it? So, I don't know, but it's not a daily show. Hmm. It's, like, some kind of news program, probably, like, pre-recorded. Probably, like, him... I don't know. Couldn't you see him doing... I could see him doing a interviews? show, but... but What's the point? Uh, is it a show if he's not on all the time? Like if he's just dabbling, then he's just a guest, right? Or yeah. What? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. This feels weird. CNN feels like they're trying to figure out what they're supposed to be anymore. Mm-hmm. Number three in the five at five. Go ahead. I'm curious to know what you think about this. The Broncos have hired former head coach Vance Joseph as defensive coordinator. Okay. He's returning to Denver after serving as the Broncos head coach back in 2017 to 2018. He was most recently working as the defensive coordinator for the Cardinals. And he'll be working under the new Broncos head coach, Sean Payton. I just don't, I don't, does, is that going to work? Can you come back yeah, I think you can. after being the head coach of a team I, and I be an assistant coach? It's weird, but I think you can. I think part of it is how did you leave? Right? I mean, he was 11-21 and 21 in two seasons, and it was four seasons ago that he was the coach. So in the last four years, he's been the Arizona Cardinals defensive coordinator. And, and clearly, the Broncos are comfortable with him, and Sean Payton, the new head coach, is comfortable with him. Uh, but I think it says a lot about how he left the franchise. And I do think, look, 
Oregon fans, you tell me, if you were going to bring back a play caller and you were going to bring Mark Helfrich back as a play caller, I think some Oregon fans would endorse that because they'd go, hey, he was a great coordinator, but he wasn't a head coach. It might just be that Vance Joseph was a, is a coordinator he's, or a position coach, but he's not CEO material. The head coach has got to be a CEO. And I think that you know there are some really notable cases where you've got really good football coaches who are coordinators who just aren't head coaches. Andy Ludwig, the offensive coordinator at Utah. He's the highest paid coordinator in the Pac-12. This guy interviewed at Notre Dame for their open, their vacancy. You know, I've talked to him. Do you want to be a head coach? I don't think he wants to be a head coach. He knows he's a coordinator. Vance Joseph may have figured that out in his time, you know, serving, you know, going 11 and 21 will do that to you. Number four in the five at five. Meyer's letter doing whatever he can here to seek redemption. He did sign that 10-day contract with the Bucks earlier this week, so he has this opportunity to return to the league. But, you know, he's also talking about it, and he's saying it's been a really hard two-year stretch, that he made a really big mistake, the biggest mistake of his life. He's, of course, referring to the incident a couple of years ago where he was using an anti-Semitic slur during a video game live stream. Uh, he's saying that he's been working hard in the Jewish community, that he's tried to go above and beyond to show his heart and who he is, and he's very remorseful. He's 30 now. He was fined $50,000 by the NBA and suspended from team activities and was also required to participate in a cultural diversity program. So he's got a chance. He's got a chance here to, to get back in good graces publicly. I think, I think it says something about the Milwaukee Bucks as well, because I think what they're saying is, like, they don't have to do this. He's not the missing piece for the Bucks to contend in the Eastern Conference. It's a 10-day it's a contract, but I think it shows a lot of grace on behalf of the Milwaukee Bucks. I also think, look, he's done, he's checked some boxes, right? You know, he, he, he met with a rabbi, he met with some organizations that you know helped educate him on you know why what he said was so bad he he's apologized he got fined you, you know they Miami traded him to Oklahoma City who then released him like he was out of basketball it's a guy who could have run away and hid and said you know what I have millions of dollars I don't need to come back but I I think he did some things that we've seen some other athletes not do Kyrie Irving comes to mind so I'm I'm interested to see how this ends, but I think it says as much about the Milwaukee Bucks and the grace they have as it does about Myers-Leonard because I think they're doing something here that is showing people that, look, you can forgive, you can help, you can be, even though you're disappointed in somebody, you can be part of their path back. I think there's a possibility here that this ends well for Myers-Leonard and the Bucks. Number five in the five at five. Uh, former wide receiver, Chad Johnson is saying that he lived at the Bengals stadium when he first entered the NFL to save money. He said as a rookie going into the league, he stayed at the stadium for his first two years because there was no point in spending money and wasting it when everything he needed was already there at the stadium. He went on to say that he didn't even get his own place until he had been in the NFL for four years. He didn't move out of his grandmother's house because he was content. And he was used to where he was living, did not move out of her house until his fourth year in 
the NFL. I love this story. I think more players should do that. I think more players should live at the stadium. <laughs> like, I gotta know. Where, there's like the article that I read did not have the details on where exactly in the stadium he was dwelling. In the luxury suites, of course, sleeping on the sofa. Yes. You know, can you imagine? It's like Miguel in my house. Like, maybe we came home, he's watching TV. You know, the Bengals came home. They were like, why is Ocho Cinco in the stadium? Man, that guy stays late. He's just always the first one at practice. Well, his commute was a one-minute walk away. It's like, uh, you know, back in the day, Anna, on this radio station, this radio station hired a host from Southern California, okay, who came in and had their show on before my show okay yeah so this was like it was a mid-morning show i was in middays at that time i noted pretty quickly that this guy had bedhead all the time <laughs> he thought it was just a super nice guy so cow look super nice guy i asked him where are you living oh i'm looking for a place you know i'm looking for i'm having a hard time finding a place you know he didn't have a car when he first got there he was just you know and then it turned out that he was sleeping at the radio station. And he stayed sleeping at the station for several months until a cleaning person came in yeah. and found him, like, in a bathrobe, asleep on a sofa somewhere. I don't know. You know, just walking around with a cup of coffee in his robe, you know, like a Saturday morning, reading the paper. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah. I, guess, I guess there's some liability involved. The company frowned upon him doing that, and they encouraged him to go out and get an apartment. Yeah, but the or, fact that he got away with it yeah. for, like, months is pretty impressive, yeah. that he was able to fly under the radar. I actually think he never ended up dwelling anywhere. I think he stayed at the station, and then he crashed with other people after that. <laughs> but, and then, uh, you know, now he's hosting some national show somewhere on the weekends or weeknights or something. But really nice guy. Yeah. You know, and he was, he was just... He had found a loophole in the system. <laughs> and it struck me like it was the least surprising thing ever when somebody said to me, you know how this happens in the workplace? Yeah. I come in one day and somebody goes, hey, did you hear what happened? Yeah. And Near I'm, the water cooler. Did and that. I'm like, no, I just got here. And they're like, so-and-so apparently has been living here <laughs> on the sixth floor. And they I, and told the whole story. And I said, it makes sense because we have a kitchen. Yeah. We had a shower at yeah. the time. There's a gym downstairs. Absolutely. There's ample, like, at the end of business, everybody leaves. Yeah. There were ample offices with couches and chairs in them and whatnot. Like, it was probably, he probably looked around at some point, maybe intended to get an apartment or rent a house or buy a house or something, and he looked around at some point and went, you know what? I don't think I need to. No down payment needed there, you know? But that no guy, deposit. That guy was always around. But he was, I noted that he had bedhead. <laughs> that was your tell? That was to me, I was <laughs> like, he looks like he's been sleeping. Maybe that's what all those offices should be doing downtown. All those high-rises should be airbnb out. <laughs> you know, you can Airbnb anything these days, right? So why not? Office space for dwelling. We should Airbnb this studio. You can put a cot, you know, in the back of the studio, and you can hang out here during the show. Yeah. You know, like Blockbuster in, you know, in Central Oregon, they right. Airbnb that thing out. Mm -hmm. you know? uh, but, you know, I, I got respect for Ocho Cinco. He's like, you know, you saw the movie The Terminal. 
about the guy living yeah. in the Paris airport for right. 18 years. He's shaving in there. He's walking around. Everybody knows him. You know, Ocho Cinco, like, the, you knew the ushers. Like, they would have all sorts of events, I'm sure, at that stadium. And he was like, man, this is the greatest thing ever. They just had a tractor pull here, you know. Like, great entertainment. Good for him. Leave it here. You got the bald face truth. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Well, we had snow overnight. Uh, it looks like we're going to have ice overnight tonight as the temperatures uh, will dip below freezing, and that is always uh, interesting. Uh, I, I started to the show earlier by talking about uh, me losing my footing and slipping on the uh, steep driveway that we have. Uh, I was parallel to the ground, and as Stephen pointed out, like it moves in slow motion. I was literally parallel going, well, this is not where I'm supposed to be. And uh, so be careful out there is what I'm saying. I don't care if you're walking down your steps or you're driving. Just go slow. Be patient. Show each other grace, all that good stuff, and uh, be careful out there. How are the roads for you? Peter Sampson, uh, I noticed uh, uh, there was some buzz today talking about your commute in. How was it for you? (laughs) My commute in was okay. It was a little bit delayed. Uh, Buses are finally running. But I'll tell you, my commute out last night I was stuck downtown for hours. Nothing could get out of downtown. It was a disaster. So if you've heard those horror stories about people stuck in their cars for six, seven, eight hours, I, I, that's absolutely true. It took me hours to get to the east side. Yeah. I, was it just people getting out of their cars and leaving vehicles? Was it the snow? What was it? Well, yeah. It, so because downtown's a little bit hilly. And, uh, you know, we were expecting maybe a dusting, and all of a sudden, you know, you get a significant snow. It's rush hour. Everyone's trying to get out, you know, in like a rear wheel minivan. But, man, even the buses weren't chained up. And, again, you know, I thought I was smart. I took mass transit, and I was going to catch a bus. I saw, no exaggeration, I mean, dozens and dozens of buses spun out. So I'm like, well, you know, I can't catch my bus. I can't even find a spot in in the bus mall here. Well, I'll just get on the max. Well, the max is blocked by an ambulance. Finally, the ambulance gets out of the way. I hop on that. The max can't go because a bus is spun out ahead. I talked to people that were on that train for three hours before I sat on it for an hour. It was was just brutal. Are you worried about tonight in the ice or... Is it, do people kind of, because I always feel like that second day, while it can be a little dicey with ice and, and whatnot, like people kind of know, if I don't need to be out, I'm not going out. I, I feel better about it today. The buses are chained up. It's still a challenge for them, but they can at least kind of get around. ODOT has, <laughs> I mean, well, I'll just say it. They had time before, too, but they have had time now to maybe get out and treat some of the major roads. So it's going to be dicey. Go slow. Be careful. If you're walking, you know, take baby steps. Be careful. But I'm feeling a lot better about not actually getting stuck anywhere. Sometimes we get calls, and especially from people who drive, like delivery drivers and uh, truck drivers and people who are on the roads for a living will often give advice for people who are in that predicament. If you're one of those people and you're nodding right now going, hey, I get it, I know, I spend my time on the roads, you have to be out there, 
I would love to get a call from you and get some advice for the rest of us from those of you who deal with it uh, for a, as a profession. I'm not talking about Mario Andretti. I'm talking about, you know, our delivery drivers, postal workers, um, you know, truck drivers, uh, UPS, FedEx drivers. 503-417-7575 is the number. Educate us. Because, like, a lot of times we've had truck drivers who have called in and have just said, hey, here, you know, and it's been part of, like, our what's, what's, what's your peeve segment. And they've gone, hey, this is advice for those of you who are not driving an 18-wheeler. Here's what it's like to be on the road. Or a delivery driver, when we, we've talked about, like, whether you should back into a parking space, I still think you should go nose in. Whether you should back in or, or whatnot, um, that we've had delivery drivers say, no, no, this is why I back in. And, and the logic of it makes sense to me. You you guys are experts on this stuff, and so I'm deferring to the delivery drivers, the truck drivers of the world who are listening to this show. Educate us on what you're seeing on the roads and what we need to think about and advice that you give the rest of us that will make your life better. 503-417-7575. By the way, i got to say, I, you know, I mentioned a couple weeks ago going to, the, going to the funeral of Bill Shonley. That was the family. It was the private funeral. I got invited by his family to go to the funeral, um, and I went. And I noted something in the parking lot of the church that we were at where, you know, they were doing the service for Bill Shonley. We got there early, and Anna was like, have you noticed anything about this parking lot? And I was like, yeah. Everybody had backed into their space. Like, everybody. I've never seen anything like it. Everybody in the parking lot. Did a backer back in, not a nose in. And I'm talking like 25 or 30 cars at the point where we were there, and every single one of them was an early arriver, and every single one of them backed into the parking space. I was the only person who was nose in. And I thought to myself, well, maybe they know this parking lot. Maybe it's hard to get out of this parking lot after when it's crowded. And so I kind of looked around, and I was like, no, that can't be it. I see multiple exits. And... I think it more it said more about the early arriving crowd that maybe the backer inners of the world in a parking lot are more inclined to be really early when it comes to being at an event. Uh, does that make sense that the backer inners are maybe a little more organized, a little more uh, I don't want to say uh, you know that they're just a little more they color inside the lines. Those of us who go nose in. We might be arriving to an event, you know, as uh, the national anthem is being sung. You know, I, I don't know. Maybe there's some logic for that. Let's go to the phone lines. Mike's in Centralia. He drives a truck for a living. He's going to educate us. What should we be thinking about if we're going on the road today or thinking about getting on the road? Well, it's pretty simple, John. It's probably stuff that you guys already know. I mean, number one, plan ahead and leave space. Nobody leaves space anymore, you know. Um, you know, uh just nobody leaves space. Even on uh, coming out of Troutdale today into Portland, it was an ice skating rink, and people are still on people's butts. Um, so just leave space. Be courteous. Um, be patient. You know all the stuff you probably already know, but um, when it comes that you got to put it into uh, practice, people seem to forget real quick. And just a side note: the reason I always back in, I was always taught as a young man. Always leave yourself a way out. That's why I always back into a spot. Have a good there night. You go. Love your show, John. Keep on Appreciate doing what you. you do. Thank you. Appreciate the expertise. Leaving space, it's such a simple thing, but 
You know, there's absolute wisdom in that. Yes, you got to leave some space. And I thought about that today. I was coming down a hill. I left the house to go to the grocery store. Middle of the day. There's nobody on the roads. But I was coming down a hill. And I'm about a third of the way down the hill. And I kind of went, you know, I'm going a little too fast to be going down this hill. I need to slow down. But I don't want to slam the brakes on. So I kind of just let the car kind of slow down as I was coming down the hill. And I was glad for it. Because when I got about halfway down the hill, I noticed there was a bunch of kids sledding at the bottom of the hill. And the last thing I would have wanted to do is come tearing through there, out of control, sliding down the hill. So, you know, those words ringing in my ears. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Peter Sampson uh, is coming up top of the hour right here at 6 o'clock. Peter, what do you got on the show? What are you going to talk about? Yeah, uh, I do need to uh, finish telling my story. Man, it was like The Last of Us downtown last night, so I'm going to go into that in some detail. Uh, NBA is back tonight. Portland Trailblazers sounds like they dealt with the weather, and it's uh, got a big impact on tonight's game. Man, they spent like 11 hours on the plane between yesterday and today, and now it's interesting, John, I think – they're not officially uh, starting the tank process, but if you look at it tonight, no starters tonight that were starters on opening day. Interesting. Uh, as uh, and they had a they had a difficult time getting out, uh, getting on the road, like a lot of people getting out of the airport yesterday. And so I, I mean, okay, so they start the tank now, and I'm sure you're going to get into more depth. But let me just ask both of you guys: Did they start too late? Like, if they really are going to tank from here on out, like, what were they – it wasn't like trade deadline was going to bring a big move for them, big splashy move. What what triggers that? Yeah, I don't I don't think that they necessarily started too late. Uh, you know, always tankathon.com, great website if you want to follow the tank live. Uh, you know, right now, Blazers in 10th place. That's a 2.5% chance of the number one overall pick. Like – they could realistically get to seven like they were a season ago or six, I believe actually they were a season ago. And that's a 9% chance. Like, I don't think it's too late because the, the, the NBA this year is very jumbled around where the Blazers are in the play in tournament on both sides in the Eastern conference and the Western conference. So I don't necessarily think it's too, it was too late to do it. Now it obviously would have helped the chances had they done it earlier, but um, yeah, I don't think it's too late for the Blazers still to have a realistic chance to, uh, to, to do a full embrace of the tank. And I, and I think part of it, it's it's just the nature of circumstance. Like, this isn't a team that's really going to make any noise. I think we all understand that. But you can look at the standings and go, I mean, look, two games out of six, then avoiding the play-in altogether. But the reality is the, the Anthony Simons injury especially. Like, I'm telling you, it's not official. That guy's not going to come back this season. And that's where you kind of just go, well, I mean, already Nurkic out for a long stretch of time. We need to develop Shaden Sharp. I, I mean, you just look at that circumstance. That's sort of the pin got pulled on the grenade there. Victor Wembanyama is the prized pick, uh, seven foot plus. Everybody's talking about this guy. You guys have watched him a little bit. I've seen film of him. Uh, the NBA is even pushing him out. I get emails from NBA Communications going, "Hey, Wembanyama is playing in this or that, or look what he did the other night." Like they're they're definitely kind of ready to usher him into the league in a year, but. Uh, how how big of a game changer can that guy be, and how solid 
of a prospect is he? Is this just huge upside, could be a difference maker, or is he a no-brainer? This is going to be a generational pick. He is a generational talent. I, I'll even say multi-generational talent, but seven foot five. And yes, he's Stephen let me know yesterday. He's apparently grown another inch. Seven foot five now. Guys make me nervous with the lower body injuries. No, he doesn't have any history with that. He's still young, of course, but you think about Yao Ming's feet and, you know, Sam Bowie's legs, and the list goes on and on. It's not just the Blazers big men the curse these guys have a hard time but if he can stay healthy the things that he can do offensively with the ball in his hands the outside shot not to mention the sheer size I mean it's it's like taking a guy like Giannis and I'm not even talking rookie Giannis you're saying maybe for second third year Giannis and making him six inches taller in you know a nine inch longer wingspan he truly is a game changer but but I'm concerned about guys that size yeah, and the thing is, is his camp is trying to put out that he's not seven five, but there's been multiple reports that he is seven foot five because of that exact reason what Peter said. Like guys that tall have a reputation of being injured and not being able to stay healthy. So I think for at seven foot five, like there is that thought of well, he's gonna break down. But if the guy stays healthy, John, like this guy could be like I would say he's it's more likely he's the best player in the NBA at some point than like he's a non all star. Yeah. Like that's how good this guy should be and can be. So I you know. Whoever gets him, whoever wins the number one overall pick, like they are getting a guy where he can come in day one, and I think players are going to want to play with him. And you're looking at you know a cha- you know try to build a championship team around him within the first couple of years. So I think it is really important to try to get as high as you can or as low as you can uh, with those chances if you really are tanking. Yeah, and I think look if you're a Blazer fan, this gives you something to look at. You know, down the stretch, and I think you know I wrote it before opening day. Maybe I was premature in doing this, and you know I look back and go, okay, maybe I should have given this team a chance. But I, like, I looked at this season as what's the upside? Are they are are you know are they going to be in the in the you know are they going to be a seven seed, eight seed, nine or ten, or should they have been thinking early on, like not out and out tank, but should they have been thinking early on about? possibly making some moves that ensure that, hey, you don't win games. But how do you keep Damian Lillard happy if you are going to tank? Man, and that's the real question. Now, you probably have conversations with him every day, and that includes probably kind of justifying your failures a little bit. You know, if someone's clued into the process every, you know, every incremental move, and then when it doesn't work out at the trade deadline, you go, well, hey, you you saw what happened, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's a little, I mean, he's not going to be fully supportive of a tank for a second year in a row, but I wouldn't be surprised if he can sort of accept it, and I think part of what that that uh, Gary Payton, the second move, aside from the, the obvious just lack of fit and cohesion, uh, you know, personality-wise and maybe disagreements on the medicals, I think it was getting those second-round picks and trying to package them to Chicago with the New York pick where you can actually free up your future picks in an offseason trade. Now, do I believe they're actually going to do that? Well, I've been waiting for like a decade now, right, John? But but I think the idea is that you do give yourself some more flexibility, and with that, you can pull the ripcord and just lose a bunch of games here. I yeah, think, and I think yeah, oh, go ahead, Steve. I was going to say, for Dame, I think the way you can communicate with him is say, hey, you know what? We've paid you $193 million, <laughs> yeah. and you still have a five-year contract. You're still under contract for five more years at over $50 million on average. Like, I think that's okay. Like, it, it's okay that Dame wants that money and likes the money. I would, too. And I think he'd be willing to stand for another year of a tank 
and just say, hey, Dame, you're the guy next season. You're going to be making uh, $45 million, and we're going to go from there. Like, I don't think they really have much to explain to Damian Lillard, and I don't think he really has a choice. Like, if they're going to tank, it's what's best for the franchise. They're already paying him. He's earned that money, and he's done a lot for Portland, but Portland's doing a lot for him as well. So I don't think he really has any type of reason to say, hey, you know what, we got to keep you happy. Like, it is what it is, man. He's going to make a lot of money. He's earned more money by staying in Portland, being eligible for the Supermax, being eligible for some of those kickers that are, you know, available for players who show loyalty. Um, he's not dumb. And, and I also think he is loyal. So I think he's been rewarded for that loyalty to this point, and his current contract rewards that loyalty even if he's not in Portland. So he's got the deal, as you point out, Stephen. But I think there's a bigger question. I, I don't think Blazer fans would be mad at Dame if he raises his hand at some point and goes – I would like to win. This franchise is not on that timeline. I would like to get out. I love Portland. I'll always keep my home in the suburbs of Portland. This is where I want to raise my kids. This is where my family wants to be. But I need to go try to win. Uh, I don't think people would be mad at him. Do you think there would be any backlash at all if he did that? Zero. I think there's zero. And it's because it's what we've been talking about for months. It's just like we know the ownership group here in Portland isn't great and the leadership is terrible. Like, we, we've all come to that conclusion, and Dame has put through put up through all of it. And I think, you know, like I said, I think the Blazers have, you know, uh, rewarded him, and he's rewarded the Blazers. So I don't. I, I think the fans are more on Damian Lillard's side than they are the team's side. I've talked to numerous people that are like, if you could trade Damian Lillard and be guaranteed a championship, would you do it? And I've heard a lot of no's, which is crazy to me. Like I would say, yeah, I would do it in a heartbeat because I want a championship. But people love Damian Lillard that much here in Portland. And, you know, he kind of he, – he deserves it. So it's like, you know what, it is what – again, yep. it, it is what it is. So it's like, you know, if Dame wants out, I don't think anyone's going to be mad at him and everyone will understand. It, what you just said there, and again, that's why they'll never trade him. It, it's not just about winning games. It's a business too. And you and I that understand the salary cap and the ins and outs and rumors were far outnumbered by people that, uh, you know, just get home at the end of the day. They want to be entertained and they own a Damian Lillard jersey or want to see how Dame's doing. It's business. And, uh, I mean, they're never going to move this guy. He's too good for business even at that salary, even if ultimately it does end up costing them in the, uh, you know, some wins in the last year of that contract. And as far as Dame, Dame's a loyal guy, but I think Dame, I, I don't think he's ever going to ask out. I think he likes being the man in Oregon. I think he likes the money. He likes being treated like a legend. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I think... Like, he wants to win, but I think we're all kind of making a little bit more of that, you know, that rings culture. Mm-hmm. I just don't think he's built that way. He's like, I love it here. I'm going to, I'm worth like half a billion dollars. I got it. My compound, my kid, like, I'm good, man. I'm good. I hope I win though, but I'm good. Yeah. I have a friend who owns the property right next to Lillard and, and I happen to be over there and, you know, you can't help but see the construction that's going on on Damian Lillard's property where you know, he's built the gymnasium. He's built what looks like it's a recording studio, a gym, or whatever. Like, I looked over, and I was like, wow. Like, the, you know, the NBA team could – it looks like the Blazers' practice facility is in his backyard. I mean, he's built that. And so I, I don't think that guy's going to leave. I think he stays here forever. And But he's on record. He said already he doesn't like the super team thing. He doesn't like bouncing around. Do you think that statement keeps him – in Portland, do you just think like him winning a ring is not important to him? I, I think I think I think you are right, and I think like Peter said, I think it's a little overblown the whole rings culture thing. Like 
I think, and I, and it goes back to the conversation we had maybe a week ago of, would you rather be the worst player on the best team or the mm-hmm. best player on the worst team? And it is not that dire of a situation. Like, this isn't the worst team, and he's not the best player. But at the same time, like, he's the best. He's probably going to go down as the best player in franchise history on a team that never got past the Western Conference Finals. Never got a win in the Western Conference Finals. But that's okay because he's a legend. He's going to have a statue. He's going to be the man. He's going to have his jersey retired. And that's great because, you know what, he was awesome in the time he was here. But that's kind of what he chose. Like, when you're signing up to play in Portland for this many years, you got to know there's going to be some down years. Like, the Blazers aren't going to be a team that competes for a championship every single season. So, yeah, man, I, 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 don't, I don't know that Dane's ever going to ask out. I, uh, I'm waiting and wondering, but I'm also going, like, look, it's not like anybody should feel sorry for him. He has made more money in Portland than any NBA player in history. And, and on that conversation, like you mentioned best blazer in history, maybe statistically, but I still think, like when we have that conversation, like who's the greatest blazer of all time, I still think you have to look at Bill Walton and you have to go, Portland would not have an NBA title if Bill Walton had not been on that team. And how you keep Bill Walton out of that position as the greatest blazer of all time, I don't know. Like, like yeah, if we're – if we're talking about who has piled up statistics, who has been the most talented uh, long-term player in history, it's Lillard. But it's, you know, I put him in front, in front of Clyde, no problem, because Clyde didn't win a title. But I still go back to June of 1977, and I go, what would the legacy of Portland be if it didn't at least have that one NBA championship, and Bill Walton brought that championship, guys. Yeah, you're right. I, I still have Clyde at number one. Like, I think Clyde's the best player in franchise history. Maybe that's because, you know, I grew up, like, as a little kid watching him play, and I had all the Trailblazer highlight videos, the season videos that I would watch, and I'd see his plays and think, you know, think about that, and then you go back and watch. Like, he was a good defender as well. Like, he wasn't just a one-dimensional player. Dame a great score, not a great defender. Um, I, I think for me, for Walton, like he just didn't play enough as a trailblazer. Like he has the one ring and he was probably the most dominant player in trailblazer history for that stretch of a time. But the fact that he just didn't play long enough, that does have to go into my consideration of being the best blazer of all time. So my ranking is Clyde, Dame, and then Walton. But I mean, I'm not against the argument saying Walton's number one or Dame's number one. I, I think any of them can be argued to be the best players of all time. Yeah, that's why it's such an interesting conversation. I mean, you've got the pure numbers with Dame. You've got the numbers combined with at least some record of winning, you know, with uh, with uh, uh, Clyde Drexler. And then Walton, It's, I mean, obviously good numbers. But, I mean, you're talking the ultimate goal. But I'm with you. 200 games, I, th- I, th- I want to say it's like 209, 210 games that he played with the Trailblazers. 17 points, 13 boards, obviously the leader. But, like, at that point... Like where does where does Mo Lucas stand? You know, because he was in a way the heart and soul of that championship team. So is he, he in your top five? He was. I mean, I think if we're putting together a player only Mount Rushmore, no Harry Glickman, mm. no Bill Shonley, no Doctor Jack on the Ru- Mount Rushmore, I think it's a pretty clear. You know, if you're talking top four of all time, you're talking about Bill Walton, you're talking about Maurice Lucas, you're talking about Lillard. And then you're talking about Clyde, and those are your—that's your Mount Rushmore if you're putting it up there as a Blazer fan, it, because I think it—you know—Lucas and Walton, you know, exemplified that championship. But I still think if you know Maurice Lucas is such an important part of that team, I don't want to say that they would have won it without him because I don't think they, that that would have happened. But you don't get anywhere near that championship 
series without Bill Walton yeah, healthy true. and in the lineup. Yeah. And, you know, to me, he was the guy. It's hard to look at his numbers in the finals where he averages 18 and a half points, 19 rebounds, five assists, and almost four blocks a game. Like, <laughs> like that is insane to do that in the NBA finals against, you know, Dr. J. Like, that, you know, against the great Philadelphia team. Like, there, there's no way you can't look at those numbers and be like, yeah, you don't deserve it. Like, there, you definitely are considered just by those numbers alone. And there it is. You get the BFT statewide. Back to the bald face truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Good discussion about the Blazers and the greatness of the Blazers and, uh, you know, the uh, debate that you have over who's the greatest Blazer of all time, and I think it's a fun debate to have. Uh, Peter Sampson will talk more about the Blazers and the possible tank being on coming up top of the hour on the Pulse. But what I really hope and wish for this franchise is not just that it gets sold. I mean, yeah, we all kind of want to see it get in the hands of somebody who will love it, Somebody that'll uh, root for it, nurture it, and invest in it, and uh, make you feel like uh, they love it as much as you do as a Blazer fan. But I also, my hope for this franchise is that the Blazer fans who are longtime fans of the organization don't find themselves, uh, you know, in this, you know, perpetual place of, you know, where they don't believe the franchise can breakthrough. I think uh, what I'm talking about is hope. And it's really at the center of sports. When you talk about the beginning of a season, earlier in the show we were talking about spring football. Why is spring football so appealing? Well, it's not just because it's football or it's the college it signals that the college football season's coming. The the uh, you know, it's the idea that hope springs eternal and it's why baseball when the pitchers and catchers go to spring training everybody's zero and zero uh, nobody's struck out yet everybody you know there comes into the season they get that first at bat they have a chance to be hitting a thousand after that first at bat and like it's just the idea that there's a renewal that happens in sports all the time every season as uh, Walter Buttermaker famously said at the end of a bad news Bears season he says, you know, uh, we're going to get them next year. Uh, you know, and Cubs fans did that for years and years and years and years, right? You got into this perpetual state with the lovable losers that were the Cubs, and people said, you know, hey, it's going to be next year. It's going to be next year. It's going to be next year. I feel like there's a little bit of fatigue in the Blazer fandom for that whole thing of next year, in part because we just haven't seen – signs of life and signs of hope. And so what I want it from this franchise is not just for an ownership group to come in and buy the team from Jody Allen and invest in the arena and you get to see the new owners and you get to go, you know, like in Phoenix, there's just so much enthusiasm and it's not all rooted in Kevin Durant. It's rooted in the idea that they now have an ownership group in Phoenix that really looks like they want to go for it. And so there's hope in that, and I want for Blazer fans, I just want Blazer fans who have endured the last 20 years of this franchise, maybe even longer, I want them to have that experience. Like, 
that it would be awesome if in the run-up to an NBA season, we all felt like, man, they got a chance. Like, yeah, we know it's difficult for a small market team to win. We know it's, you know, you look around, you, there are examples of small market teams. Like, you know, Milwaukee got Giannis, and it was a difference maker for them. The, the San Antonio Spurs put Tim Duncan and David Robinson side by side. It was, you know, it was just a generational run for them. Um, it can happen. LeBron goes to Cleveland, and suddenly the Cavaliers matter. Like, you know, the, the small market teams can matter in this league, but they have to do it first in the draft, and they have to do it in a big way. And I just would hope that at some point of your Blazer fandom, you arrive in a September really excited about what is going to happen in the upcoming NBA season. And it's not just all about college football for us in this region. And so I, I'd want that for Blazer fans. And some of it is rooted in the idea that an ownership group could come in and take over and and there would be excitement around the team. And, man, they, if they're close, they might make a move at the deadline. They might really try to win this thing. But I, I also think some of it is just, frankly, a feeling in the organization. Do you feel that fatigue, guys, when it comes to the Blazers? Uh, a little bit, and I would say this: like, I don't know that the Blazers are fully going to tank the rest of the season. I think I don't think Dame's played his last game. I think he'll be back at some point. But if they did tank and the Blazers end up getting Victor Wembanyama, like he's the type of player that springs hope. Like that is the hope. Like if he would on the team, Portland would be right up there at the top of the Western Conference. Like I don't have any doubts about it. So. Like, that's the type of thing that you need. You need to get lucky. And that's what happens in sports. You talk about the small markets. Like, the Bucks got yuck, lucky with Giannis. He was the 15th pick in the draft. It's not like he was the number one overall pick. You got to get lucky a lot of times when you're a small market like the Trailblazers. And they just had no luck. And it's been the same thing over and over with them. Yeah. Peter, you, you, you're, you've you got your pulse on Blazer fandom. And you talk about it a lot. But the fatigue factor the exhaustion that fans have with the franchise. Yeah, it's it's there a little bit. I can certainly feel it. And it's, you know, it's like Blazer fans can't get a break. There's ineptitude. There's poor decisions. Then when you finally get a break, something bad happens. You get the number one overall pick. You get the generational guy. He has bad knees. You get a Brandon Roy who's basically behind Wade and Kobe is the third best guard. He's got bad knees. So it's a combination of things. It's It's very trying. It really is for a multitude of reasons. I think if you're a Blazer fan, like, you know, I want to sell some hope to you, but I don't want to sell it false. I need to see it. I need to see that the organization believes in it and is pointed in the right direction and has the right people. But right now, I'm looking at this franchise, broken roster, first-time GM, first-time head coach in his second year, and a wannabe owner. It, that doesn't line up for me, so I'm not going to lie to you. But keep it here. Peter Sampson and the Pulse coming up tomorrow. Another great show. Bald-faced truth not here for a long time, just a good time.